I'd be really easy to paint because I'm just a big white crayon. Uh, but the, the th- <laughs> another thing that we talked about. <laughs> We're going to put that on your farmer's only pay- uh, profile. With a waxy exterior. <laughs> P- please make that the cold open. Please. <laughs> I just want it to be, I'm a big white crayon. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 47 of the Plastic Posse podcast. Tonight, I'm very lucky to be joined by all four of my co-hosts, which seems to be uh, a rare occurrence these days, so I'm pretty excited about it. So how's everyone doing? We'll, we'll start with you, Doug. I'm doing great. I'm doing really good. Had a rough week, but it's getting better. JB, how are you doing? I'm doing great, TJ. Thanks for asking. You know, I'm really happy to be here. I'm glad the band's back together. I think, you know, it's the first time all five of us have been together for a couple months now. It's certainly uh, a rare occurrence, but happy to be here, happy to chat, and look forward to the discussion coming along. Lord Taylor, how are you this evening? I'm wonderful. I'm technically unemployed for three months, which means I've got unlimited time at the bench, which is fantastic. And I've been really productive. I'll talk about what I've been doing later. But yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm really good at the minute. Yeah, and finally, our fearless leader, Scott. How are you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm doing good. It's just good to see all you guys. As you said, TJ, it's just been too long. Good to see all of your faces. But yeah, great Memorial Day weekend. Used a bottle and a half of MRP primer. Uh, worked on my Sherman uh, entry and a couple of other vehicles that I've been needing to prime. And uh, also got uh, been working on getting my 3D printer, the the exposure settings dialed in and making good progress there. So yeah. But it's just good to good to be with you guys. Plus, uh, Nats is coming soon. Yeah, we're gonna t- we're gonna talk about that in a little bit. I'm also happy to be here. Uh, I'm glad I have my voice back. Um, that's the main reason why I wasn't in the previous episode. I straight up lost my voice, which is pretty rare for me. I didn't really feel sick. Maybe like one day, I, I felt a little under the weather. Um, I think I had bronchitis. But uh, you guys heard I couldn't speak. Uh, I mean, I could, but I sounded at like Tom Waits uh, gargling hot asphalt. So um, I was in no, <laughs> no position to, uh, to be on the podcast. But uh, then, you know, that, that being said, so what's, uh, what's everyone working on? I know, Doug, you've got some pretty cool stuff on your bench right now. I've been printing like crazy. I'm loving my printer. And uh, so, so I've been printing, I've painted one bust to start with just, just for kicks and giggles. I painted the King of the Dead from Lord of the Rings. Bust is about three and a half inches tall. And, and it was just, it was just a pleasure. I really, really enjoyed doing that. In the meantime, I printed probably eight, eight other things that I will be working on, but I am ready to, to finally suck it up and put primer on my Skyhawk. It just has to happen. And, uh, I'm, I'm enjoying, I love those airplanes and I really enjoy that kit. So Hazagawa's 48 scale Skyhawks are great. Scott, what about you, man? What have you um, put your hands on? Well, uh, before I get started, I just want to say, Doug, that uh, King of the Dead from Lord of the Rings, 
awesome job on that. That looks really, really good. I think you. Uh, you think you've been uh, watching TJ for sure. It looks really, really good. I want to print one slightly bigger and go a little darker, like a little more depth to him, layer it a little bit more, but uh, we'll get to that. Yeah, for sure. But uh, as I mentioned before, got my uh, M10 SA50, which is a, an Israeli M10 that they acquired in the early 1950s that served with reserve units. They never saw combat, but they replaced the 76 millimeter gun with a, a French SA-50, which is a 75 millimeter gun. Got that primed, and now it's uh, ready for some paint, along with a little Tamiya Kettenkrad and a 148 scale Crusader III. I've had both of those done for months, but it was good to get some primer on them. And then lots of uh, 3D printing, too. Uh, printed some Robbie the Robots for my friend Dave Turner for his Forbidden Planet Flying Saucer. He didn't like the uh, scale or the detail of the Robbie that came in the kit. So those turned out pretty good. A bunch of other stuff. So, yeah, I've been busy. John, I know um, you've shared a couple of pictures in one of our group chats of some pretty neat stuff you're working on. Uh, what have you got going on? Yeah, I've been busy. I think the main project at the bench right now is a uh, Panther G1 by Tacom. So um, building it almost, boy, I post-shaded last night. So I got I to gotta put a flat coat on it and then the weathering can begin. So it'll be done for Nats, and then I have a few other projects. I also started painting, and I clear-coated it, the T-3485. That's 48th scale from Tamiya, and it's it's a modern T-3485, so it's got the Yemi, Yemeni, Yemen, Yemen camouflage. Uh, it's it's honestly just like a Wehrmacht vehicle, but used in present-day Yemen. So it's like sand, sand green and red, uh, red-brown. So it's a, it's a neat little kit. I'm happy to get it painted. It's been you know, sitting on the shelf for a year and I looked at it and I was like, well, maybe it's time to finish this. But getting those two finished, I also picked up the uh, Ursat's M10 or M7, which is essentially the Stug from Tacom, which is a Stug 3G late with the sheet armor. So I'm hoping maybe that'll be a slammer build. I've printed some tracks for it. I have some other printed items and it's a nice little kit. I've built one of the Blitz Stug 3s already. So I think, and I, I think I might slam that together at some point. My wife's out of town next week and I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, that's what's going on here. Ivan, what about you? Um, been really productive. And at the, the risk of making this sound like the printing posse podcast, <laughs> I once again have been printing stuff. <laughs> um, so I printed myself a bust of Vesemir from The Witcher. Awesome print. Like the detail is impeccable. And I printed that because TJ were doing like some really awesome like figure painting. I was like, right. I was really struggling with my 35th scale figures. And I was told, yeah, bigger canvas is actually easier. I was like, mm, I don't know. There's, there's, there's more detail. But I was like, no, I'll give it a go. And you know what? I'm loving it. Um, I'm committing a sin because I'm painting with oils, which I'm, I'm told is a big no-no, but it works. And I'm really happy with the result at the minute. So Vesemir is coming on really well. Hopefully that will be coming to Nats with me. I just have to be really careful because his sword, which he's holding, is very thin and it's very brittle. That's about 60% done. There's a lot more work to do. His face is done. I need to do his hair and his sword and his actual clothing. I also tonight just finished my third entry for the Triple B M3, M4 build, the Grant, which I've called Mabry because our good friend, Grant Mabry. Um, oh, it's so good. Well, he, I didn't like any of the options in the box. I thought they were quite boring. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to invent one and call the tank Mabry. So I've, I've done that. And I don't like dry, earth, sandy weathering. I struggle with it, but I've, I'm really happy with what I've done with, with this model. So that's finished. Um, 
another print I wanted to do, I'm sorry, I've been really busy, um, was an Arthur Morgan bust uh, slash figure. He's on his horse. Anyone who doesn't know that character, he's from Red Dead Redemption. He's the guy who's like, we're more ghosts of people. But he's, he's a cool character. But <laughs> sorry, I can see everyone at the reaction of that, that impression. That was beautiful, um, dude. It's a really cool character. But he's a multi-part figure, so his arms, legs, hands are all separate. And I've printed it three times now, and they just don't fit. The arms do not fit to the body, regardless of how I rotate or orient the print. They do not fit. That's that. They, just, they don't. And it was a shame because I paid quite a lot for that file. And it, it looks really cool because the detail's amazing, but it doesn't fit together. So just going to unfortunately have to move on from that that figure. But yeah, that's me. I've been I've been really busy, really really productive. I was going to say, is that a common a common thing when you when you have multiple part three D prints that you have fit issues? I've heard like, a yeah, lot of people be. say that. Yeah, because yeah. I I printed out. I'm actually not quite done, but uh, it's Mu Ran Yin, the Windmaster. It's a female like a Chinese, ancient Chinese figure, and it's beautiful. And so far, I've got both arms, one of the legs in the in the body, the head, everything printed, and they all fit perfectly. So I'm hmm. just wondering if I just got lucky on what I selected for, for the first attempt at something like that. Ivan, a couple things you can try is uh, check your exposure settings, maybe run a couple pucks and uh, see if you need to uh, up the exposure. And then the other thing is, is whichever part isn't fitting, you can print at a, like a slightly like a 1% smaller size and see if that'll make it so the posts fit in the locating holes as well. Just before you abandon it, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's such a cool figure. I'm trying to be risky here because in the in Lychee, what I'm thinking is maybe assemble all the parts, if that makes sense, like rotate them and place them in position so it's one piece, then print it as a one piece. So I'd have um, to like assemble it in the software. You can do that in Lychee. Um, I've been using a program called Blender to assemble STLs, and that works really, really good. If you want to, sometime uh, we can hook up and yeah. I can show you how to do that. But that that works really, really good. I haven't had as much luck with doing that in Lychee just because that's not what it's designed to do. But yeah. it's a good it's a good idea, better than just losing the bust. Yeah, it's, it's a shame because really cool figure. Yeah, we'll have to get together and talk about that because he's such a cool character. And you, TJ, what have you been up to? Um, like you... I've also been very, very busy. I seem to be settling into a uh, punctuated equilibrium here with my building where I don't do much and then I just produce a whole bunch of stuff all at once. And then I'm sure I'll probably ride that wave down here before Nats. But it had been, I think, uh, since we did the 48, 48 hour group build in March that I actually pushed something across the finish line. And then two weekends ago, um, I was out of town uh, for a gymnastics tournament for my daughter and when I was driving, when my wife was driving home, I was sitting in the car. I was like, I need, I need to paint something. I think I even told one of our chats, like, I will paint something. I haven't done anything. So I did. And I had bought a one twelfth scale, um, Swiss mercenary bus from FER miniatures, one of my favorite miniatures company from the 15th century. So I painted it about five hours on Sunday, start to finish. And it was, I washed it in the morning and I was done by four 30 in the afternoon. I started around 11, so maybe like five and a half hours. And then for whatever reason, that just kicked me into high gear. And I went from that to a one-sixth scale bust of uh, Tamora Morrison as Boba Fett as seen in the second season of The Mandalorian when he first makes his return. I picked that up from 
an artist named uh, Peter. I don't know how to say his last name. Uh, he's Polish. He goes by Corax Artifacts on um, Etsy. He has an Etsy store where you can get it. Uh, it's fantastic. Hand sculpted. Um, he is traditional sculptor. Traditional sculptor. I've had it for a couple of months. Um, I started working on that. I busted that thing out in less than a week. I really like it. It's probably some of the best work I've ever done. Um, it, if anyone's not familiar, one six is a large scale for bus. I mean, you guys saw he's, he's a solid chunk of resin that will, you could hurt someone if you threw it at him. Like he's like a baseball. And that was really fun. And then I moved to a one tenth scale bus of, I believe is some sort of Android. Um, it's called PE 92. It's from Hera models who, uh, Lila Mev turned, uh, me on to when we interviewed her. She had mentioned, um, them. They're a Spanish company. I've also bought that, I think, earlier this year. Um, I painted him purple, which I've never done before. I've never worked in that color before. And I did a, um, a stippling technique to make uh, his armor look textured. And I weathered him and even did some OSL. And it's okay. It's serviceable. OSL, um, it's really hard to do. And um, it's easy to mess up. So I kind of went easy on it. And yeah, then from that, I've moved on to what I'm currently working on is a a Norman warrior from Hastings in 1066. He's his skin is painted. Um, again, I'm trying something a little new, try not to do the same stuff I always do when it comes to painting skin, which is, you know, the same recipe. Cause I don't want all my models look the same. So I'm doing like a cooler skin tone since, um, if anyone's familiar with their English history, Hastings, the battle of Hastings took place in October of 1066 in Southeastern England, where I'm told is kind of chilly in the late autumn. So I figured, and no one knows when the, like, what the actual weather was like. It wasn't recorded other than it was sunny. So I'm assuming that it was kind of chilly. So he kind of has like a bluish hue to his face because it's cold. So yeah, I love painting these things. They're so much fun. Uh, I think we're going to talk about figures uh, later on in the episode. But yeah, that's what I've been doing now that I'm done rambling on. The purple tones on on that Android were just fantastic, and all of those TJ are really great pieces. Thank you. The other thing I'm really proud of um, with uh, PE92 is um, I actually did a little bit of freehand uh, lettering on him. I put on the the box art he has. You can see where, like has his name tag or his name like written on his armor. So I have the PE with part of the dash, and then on his helmet on the box art he has a bunch of just like random numbers like on the head. Um, I put my one daughter's birthday on one side and then i put my other daughter's birthday on the other side and then put like little dashes and you know kind of make it whatever kind of blend in look futuristic so i was really proud of that it's pretty cool you know my wife thought it was neat so yeah it was fun uh painting freehand is hard and i don't like doing it so give me decals all day long well and ivan your grant <laughs> and your vesemir look terrific and john the yog panther as well i mean just you guys have been putting out some amazing work thank you all right, so now that we know what everyone's working on it, and it also is good because it sounds like everyone's been busy, which I like is, you know, it's not always the best when you're listening to a scale modeling podcast and no one's building scale models when they're talking about it. So uh, I'm glad that everyone is is active and, and feeling good about their modeling. So and I think part of the reason why we're so active and looking forward and, and enjoying modeling is because we've got a pretty big event coming up in a little over two months, and there's some pretty cool stuff happening there. And John, why don't you tell us about one of those things that I'm very excited about? Yeah, you know, there are multiple things going on in the Nats. It's going to be awesome. But recently, and this is super exciting, myself, TJ, and, and Ivan will be representing Ammo by Mig Jimenez at the show. So we will have a booth next to the Plastic Posse. We'll be splitting our time. 
swapping in and out of shirts to uh, make sure we're branded properly, but we'll, uh, we'll be repping each of uh, each brand, but mainly, you know, the ammo, the ammo booth is going to be a lot of fun. Initially, we were just going to do two seminars, one on, you know, the topics are TBD. I'm thinking one maybe on acrylics and then one on enamels and oils, uh, you know, mainly towards painting and weathering. I think that's still P- to be decided, but at the booth, stop on by, we'll be doing demos. What I plan on doing actually is I'm going to do a lot of 3D prints, you know, whether it's wheels, tracks, have them mounted the pieces of styrene, and I'd love for people to stop by and just try out their paints. You know, we can do some airbrushing. I'll have the battery-operated compressor there. We'll have a bunch of enamel products. We'll Honestly, we'll have a little smattering of everything that they offer, from acrylic paints to enamels to dry brush uh, stuff. We'll have their brushes there, some groundwork, literally the whole gambit. So we are super excited to do that. Us three will be splitting time at that booth and the Triple P, and it's it's just going to be exciting. You know, you know, it's... It's something that you always want to do. I'll be honest. You know, it's something that you, you know, try to do and to be given the opportunity to, you know, represent a brand is, is pretty cool at a show. And I'm super excited and I'm looking forward to meeting a lot of people and please stop on by. Uh, we'll be demoing the products. So we're not going to be selling them. Plenty of people at the show will be selling ammo products, but you know, this will give you a chance to have hands on, you know, with their products, whether it be acrylics, enamels, their oil brushers. And we just, again, put the brush in your hand, see how we're doing it. I'd love to learn from our listeners. So I think it's just going to be super sweet. And the shirts we got are super sweet. I'm just, I'm just super excited. There's nothing else to say. I mean, Ivan, I think, I think your grin, I can see from here uh, across the pond. It's, it's going to be awesome. I think. Yeah. And it's something so new to me. Um, I, I've seen people do demos and, and, and things at shows before, and I never thought in a million years I'd be asked to do it as well. Because in my head, I'm like, what can I teach people? But, uh, I can hold my own. Uh, but it's going to be, it's going to be terrifying. I'm not going to be able to hold the brush steady, but it's, it's going to be great fun to be with a great brand and great company at a great show. Yeah. I'm just going to go ahead and, uh, echo all that. It's, it's, I'm still like wrapping my head around it. It's very surreal, um, uh, to me because not only are we going to be there for the podcast, which, is the best you know the best thing ever then there's this too and it's like you know that uh ammo trust to put their you know put my name with their name is um uh, you know i don't know i i I can't think of enough that you know some dorky american is like uh you know representing the brand (laughs) at the biggest model show in the country it's it's uh it's humbling to say the least yeah it's it's gonna be super fun and i i can't wait for people to stop by like i said Stop by, see the triple P, see ammo. We'll put a brush in your hand. You know, you can see what we talk about on the show. You know, when we, when we talk about painting and certainly with the figures as well, we have a couple figure painting sets from ammo that we can demo. And certainly I'll turn over the brush and to Ivan and, and TJ on that. And I think there's some oil brushers there too for you, Ivan, if you're not. Oh yeah, uh, my, my favorite product. <laughs> so it'll, it'll be a lot of fun. And we have the new winterizer set. We have some of their groundwork products. So. Again, it'll it'll be a blast and can't wait to see people uh, come on by and say hi. Yeah, and in addition to you guys doing the demos, um, at our table we'll be there with Steve from Value Gear. We're going to have a bunch of tank craft product as well. We're going to have some Tamiya USA product and some things uh, to give away to people uh, as well. And Doug and I, while they're doing their demos, will be uh, there at the table. So come on by and say hi. But I love this. It's, you know, it's a plastic posse. It's sort of that group thing. And man, there's going to be a lot going on. You know, we've talked in previous podcasts about some of the social events we'll, we'll be doing, you guys, but it's coming fast, but not fast enough. 
Yeah. And just to echo the events, we're targeting two specifically for the podcast. There will be a one hour roundtable, very similar to what we had in Vegas. It'll be in a in a seminar room. There'll be at least one representative from all the major podcasts and it'll be, you know, likely, well, now Jim Bates is on the fence. Who are we going to get to moderate? I'm, I'm kind of upset. So listeners, I'm calling out Jim Bates, give the peer pressure, get him to Omaha. Uh, but you know, it, it'll be fun. I can't wait for it. We'll have again, reps from every major podcast. We'll go around the table. We'll talk about anything and everything with social media, podcasting. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And then in addition to that, we're going to have a mixer on Wednesday night. Keyword Catalina wine mixer. Catalina wine mixer, compressed and dressed. And it's going to be casual in the NBC Suites uh, atrium area. So right when you walk in, open to everybody. You know, I think that's the best time for it. Unfortunately, we're not unfortunately, but you know, every night's just packed. Thursday night's going to be the SAC Museum. Friday is going to be judging. And then Saturday's the award ceremony and the banquet. And then Tuesday night, we're going to find the biggest piece of cow to feed Ivan. And he's going to have the meat sweats all week. <laughs> I, I've seriously been sat at home Googling steakhouses in, in La Vista just to see what the menus are like. That's how sad I am. That's not sad. That's that's proactive. <laughs> it's preparation. That's homework. You're dedicated, dude. Half, I, halfway across the globe, looking at food. I think we're going to do yeah. the, the Drover. It's it's one that was recommended by BJ, and then I've seen it pop up a few times. And it looks like a classy establishment, so I'm going to get a reservation for us on Tuesday night. Hey, listeners, uh, you know, open invite. If you're in the area on Tuesday, reach out. I'll put you on the guest list. Uh, we certainly have a couple more coming, and it'll be a lot of fun. So if you're in the Tuesday area, if you're not, we'll certainly see you on Wednesday when the show kicks off. I believe it opens around noon, but vendors and, and everybody else and the like, including us, will be there early in the morning setting up and, you know, just getting everything going. We'll probably do a live stream. And God, I cannot wait. I was texting <laughs> Ivan and Sam, like, excitement is an understatement for uh, you guys coming out to visit. So I, I'm packing everything I can for, for this, this group to be in Colorado. And then we have, I think, a five car caravan for, for Omaha, I feel like I feel like I should get like tail codes or some sort of identifier made, like magnets for the side of the car. Get some livery, and maybe some insignia. We can all have call signs. I claim yeah, car CB radios. Yeah, yeah. I call car ramrod. <laughs> uh, so it's going to be a blast, and we'll have a little pre festivities here in Denver. But I'll, I'll shut up now because I've talked too much about it. I'm just so excited. Is it just me? Or, or it just, it feels like we just did this, not the, not the, the caravan, nothing like that, but we just did Vegas. It was just, it just doesn't feel like it was that long ago. And we are a month and a half from being in an Omaha. And I'm, I'm, I'm so excited for this. Vegas was for a lot of reasons, wasn't it? Yeah. It was a little bit later in the year. Damn. That's, that's crazy quick. (laughs) Yeah. I just, I'm going to have my, my, camera ready on my phone taking a picture of uh, Ivan taking down that old 96er you know on on that Tuesday night when we get there that's going to be epic stuff well with the, with the way things are over here I best set off to the airport now because there's chance I might not get there if I get there too late it's terrible we will you will be here come hell we'll, or high water that's right we'll we'll have Jim Bates send his private jet to get you <laughs> I should think so this is the second plane ticket I've had to buy it's re- I've not had my refund from a first one yet just get your ass to the United States and everything yep. else is taken care of I'll start swimming start swimming <laughs> <laughs> 
the Triple P is pleased to be sponsored by Tankcraft. Tankcraft makes some fabulous scale modeling accessories for your bench and that your builds just can't live without. So head on over to tankcraft.com and pick yourself up a pro modeler mat. These heavy-duty, self-healing cutting mats feature World War II tank and aircraft designs, and they're going to be the envy of all of your model-making friends. Or you can check out some of Tankcraft's amazing tools. The milled aluminum glue base is awesome. That'll keep those pesky extra-thin spills at bay, and the silicon roll stopper will keep your hobby knife on your bench where it belongs, not stuck in your foot. There's also the Tankcraft Titanium Hobby Knife, which is awesome, and Aluminum Imperial and Metric Scale Model Rulers. Armor modelers should check out Tankcraft Pro Tracks. These are ultra-realistic 3D-printed 135th scale tank tracks. So go ahead. You can find any of these products over at tankcraft.com. That's T-A-N-K-R-A-F-T dot com, where you can see their whole range of products. Oh, and remember, Posse listeners can use the code POSSE15 at checkout to get 15% off your first order. That's P-O-S-S-E-1-5, POSSE15. I've got to say something about those uh, roll stoppers for your knives. It's, it has to be placed on your bench for it to work. I used my hobby knife the other day. I set it down with the roll stopper hanging off the ledge and the knife almost fell on my foot. So, so yeah, make sure you put those roll stoppers all the way on your bench or they don't work. Sorry. Just had to throw that out there. It's time to send a shout out to the Posse Outriders. These are listeners who support the Posse by becoming Patreon contributors. If you would like to support the Triple P and become a plastic Posse Outrider, it's really easy. Just head on over to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash plastic posse podcast and set up a recurring donation there you can donate any amount you'd like and this support helps us to offset the costs of bringing you the triple p there are three different tiers of support and they start at only one dollar a month starting with the top tier are awesome deputy marshals chris toadman hughes model doc doug reed greg james dan nofel les workala B. Colt 1911, John Everett, Josh Buck, Luke Carswell, Thomas Bannock, Mark Bradley, Zach Pease, Joel Munson, Eric Brubaker, David Brian Bridges, Ethan Eidenmill, Jared Cowell, J.C. Osborne, Mike Talley, Steve Baker, Bruce the Model Noob, Jeremy Moore, Grant Mayberry, and Rick Cooper. Next, we have our Posse Foreman, Previous Seat, Enrique Perriam, Ian Bonner, uh, Lee Fogel, Mr. Grizz, Rob Burnside, Martin Drayton, The Voice of Bob, Steve Schaefer, Steve Munsell, Matthew Johnston, John Vitkus, Jamie Stokes, Craig Jarbo, Mike Bird, Jeremy Elliott, Mediocre Middle-Aged Modeler, Eric Daglish, Rick Lewis, and Eric Semmelmeyer. Lastly, but not least, we have our posse outriders, Lynn, Neil, Jackson, Chris, Robert, Brian, Matthew, David, and Jamie. Well done, deputies. We appreciate your support. Just a reminder, the posse is just one of several scale modeling podcasts out there. We are a member of a group of great podcasts, and if you would like to see a list of some of these other podcasts, plus other social media creators, head over to modelpodcasts.com, that's plural, and you will find a link to many of them there. Well, now it's time for our interview segment. Uh, this time around, Ivan and Grant Mayberry, our fr- good friend, had a chance to sit down with a figure painter that most of you are going to know. We've been trying to get an interview with him for um, over a year. Super busy. But anyway, Duncan Rhodes doesn't really need much of an introduction. He's Mr. Two Thin Coats. 
uh, has his own uh, website and also now a new paint line. And we talk about all these things in this interview. So hopefully uh, you'll enjoy this interview as much as we did in uh, talking with him. And here it is. Welcome to another Plastic Posse Podcast interview. Today, we have a great guest for you guys. We are joined by an amazing figure painter who, over the last decade or a little more, is pretty much universally synonymous with painting Warhammer and fantasy miniatures. We are very pleased to welcome Duncan Rhodes to our podcast. Duncan, it's great to speak with you. Hello. Hi, everybody. Hello to you listening. <laughs> always, these intros always sound so strange to me. Life's been very weird these last 10 years. I can blame my business uh, partner for that, I suppose, Roger. <laughs> but it's lovely to be here. Nice to uh, nice to chat with you, gentlemen. We're thrilled that we finally got this done. This is great. Uh, you're obviously a busy person. So also joining us uh, from the UK are Ivan Jensen-Taylor. Say hi, Ivan. Hello, everyone. Hello, Duncan. It's, it's, it's great to finally be able to speak to you. Hello, nice to talk to you too, Ivan. Marvellous accent, I must say. Oh, boy. Oh, it's, it's, it's fantastic, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and also our good friend Grant Mayberry from California, who helped us reach out to Duncan. Say hi, Grant. Hi, guys. Hi, Duncan. It's really nice to talk to you finally. It's nice to talk to you too. I bet it's hot over there. Actually, it's raining today. Is it? Ooh. Pretty sure most of our listeners are familiar with Duncan, but for those few of you out there that might not know him, let's give our listeners a little bit of background before we dive in. Duncan, please make sure to correct me if I get any of this wrong. Duncan was a well-known member of the Games Workshop Warhammer community, um, including their well-known YouTube channel for almost a decade. And then in February 2020, with his partner, Roger, he established his own company, website, and social media outlets under the name Duncan Rhodes Painting Academy. Uh, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> pretty much how it's happened. Although the, uh, the, the Warhammer time um, was, yeah, it was 10 years in studio moving into TV and this was um, something that I just sort of fell into because I always liked teaching people how to paint stuff, um, even when I was working in Games Workshop Retail. Um, and by chance, I found myself on their channel as they were starting to do these painting videos. And I really enjoyed it, really liked helping people. I mean, it was scary starting it out, but uh, it's been, I suppose, scary all the way. <laughs> but recently, so Roger was the fellow I was working with all the time at Games Workshop. He set up all the, 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 the way it was filmed and everything, and he trained me to be a presenter. And we got to a point where um, well, Roger always had a dream of having his own business and we realized that we had all the pieces in place to do it. So we just, um, we, uh, the Games Workshop share prices allowed us to make some money on their share save scheme. So we had the, you know, the funds to buy cameras and everything and, and well, talk to lawyers and get accountants and all this sort of stuff. So we realized that uh, if, you know, if we could potentially do it and Neither of us wanted to be caught regretting that we never tried. So that's where we set out to go and do these um, painting lessons independently. And uh, yeah, that's what we do now. Awesome. Well, um, you can head on over to Duncan's website. It's uh, DuncanRoads.com. It's a membership site where modelers can come and learn to paint miniatures. And also, uh, he has his own YouTube channels. I mentioned now that since... Uh, 2020 has amassed a quarter million subscribers and has well over 8 million views. So that seems, uh, Duncan, like that YouTube channel is uh, doing pretty well for you also. Yeah, thank goodness. 
Um, yeah, it's been extraordinary, really. Um, I struggled to get my head around it all the time. But yeah, we uh, we core everything around our website, um, which is, again, a weird, surreal experience for me. Every time I say it's my name is the address, it's DuncanRoads.com. This was our, uh, Roger's idea, by the way. We had an argument about it. Um, <laughs> we were going to go for a different name for everything entirely. Um, but he pointed out that people certain on um, YouTube and things, when they're looking for guides, they'd put my name in. Um, so that's how it ended up being turned to that. So yeah, so it's a membership site. And on there, there are packs of painting tutorials. There's over 200 now, and they cover a huge variety of different subjects and techniques and things. Um, we've got a forum on there as well with the community who all give each other feedback and give ideas and things. And uh, we encourage them to put requests there. We do competitions there too. And we also have a big um, gallery of all the miniatures that we paint. So you can see in really high definition photographs, all the, the way it's painted front and back and side and things. And yeah, so on the side of this, we have our YouTube channel where people can see um, the sort of thing that we do. The The website is really lots more of that and much more detail of that. So you can get a taste of it. And if you like it, then you're welcome to pop over and uh, join us. Awesome. And then finally, uh, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, but in July of last year, you announced your own line of paints for miniatures called Too Thin Coats Paints. And uh, those seem to be uh, doing rather well. Yes, uh, again, another, whew, thank goodness. Um, so, yeah, we got approached by this fellow called Bob, who um, has been in the wargaming industry for a long time, and he's headed up various companies, and he wants to do his own company for, um, well, for the first time, really, his own his own thing. And part of it is that he wants to have a hobby line of paints, you know, or the, the cool hobby materials. And um, so he was looking to essentially brand, uh, well, license a brand to be able to build it to bomb. And uh, so he approached us about this, and... Um, it was quite cool, actually. It was a bit like Draken's Den, though he wasn't actually there. But we got this um, proposal document with this box full of things and ideas and stuff. And it, so that was um, that was cool to look through all of that. And so we had a discussion with him and we were interested, but we wanted to be really heavily involved in the creation of it. So we wanted to be able to, um, you know, choose the colors and develop a system to it to help people out with it. And uh, we wanted to be able to test everything. So everything we wanted to make sure um, we genuinely approved of before it went out the door. And um, Bob went, that's amazing. How much do you want to do? And we were like, well, all these things, please. And he's like, absolutely. So um, I think, um, so I'm not certain, but I think he was surprised at how much we got into it. And honestly, it's been sort of another job on top of the job these last this last year or so developing these paints. So yeah, so we ended up going to the factory and doing all these tests and um, checking samples, choosing what base it was going to be built upon, um, developing what sort of system the paint colours would have, um, you know, mixing the colours ourselves, um, all that sort of thing. And then we ended up at the factory adjusting the colours and things and um, choosing what the bottle looks like, making the labels. So we, we did a lot along with Bob's company, which is Transatlantis Games. So then Transatlantis, um, once once we'd approved everything, they took it all, ran the Kickstarter, ordered in all the stuff, and they're currently filling bottles. They've built lines to, you know, with machines to fill the paint and everything. So it's quite extraordinary. Um, <laughs> it's uh, we, we did hope that at some point we'd be able to have some hobby materials that we'd be able to do, you know, Bob Ross style. We didn't expect it to happen so quickly or to be so successful so rapidly. So uh, to anyone listening who backed the Kickstarter, um, thanks so much. A time of recording, as I say, they are filling the, the bottle, so you will be getting them soon. And I really hope you like them. Well, I am going to, uh, with that bit of introduction, I'm going to hand this off to Grant for some uh, background questions with you. Uh, again, hi, Duncan. This is like fanboy for me. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> if I act like a little boy here. Oh, don't, don't, don't be, don't be. Yeah, and, <laughs> I'm very and, disappointing, and, really. I'm, uh, yeah, I've got a foul mouth. I'm really and, rude. And a big supporter. Uh, I, I, I actually, uh, I've been, I've been watching you for a couple. Well, not the whole time, but a couple of years now. 
So let's start with a bit of background about you. Uh, let's go way back. Um, mm. When did you initially start in the hobby? Oh, well, I actually first got into model making uh, before wargaming, and it was because my parents bought me some model airplanes for Christmas, um, some FX planes. It was this box where you got three kits and some paints, and uh, I loved them. It was, uh, you got a, a British Jaguar jet, um, a French Super Antendard, and a Lynx helicopter. Now, I ruined the helicopter. <laughs> that was a disaster, but I've got a real soft spot for the Jaguar, because that was the first one I did. Um, and I remember painting it with my dad with enamel paints, you know, using the thinners to wash the brushes and things. So he would do that, and I'd put the color on. We had a great time, and I'd always be buying these model airplanes and looking in model shops and things. And yeah, I loved it. Really enjoyed it. It's quite funny. I bet my parents had <laughs> no idea what direction this life, my life would go because of that Christmas present. But yeah, it was great. So, uh, so yeah, I'd do these things. And then when I was, ooh, I suppose about nine, I encountered Star Wars and I saw Star Wars for the first time. And um, then I realized you could get model kits of the Star Wars spacecraft. And so it's like, oh, oh my God, that's a thing. So I'd start doing TIE Fighters and X-Wings. I, I remember getting a, um, a TIE Interceptor on holiday in France, and um, I just could not wait to build it, but I had to wait till we got home before I could build it. And I can remember constructing it, being a bit confused that the pilot looked like a jet fighter pilot inside it rather than the TIE Fighter pilot with the helmet and stuff. So I assume they just got it from some other kit. But I had a great time painting that. And uh, yeah, that's why then when I saw Warhammer, first thing I saw was Space Marines in a model shop. They had this um, this stand there, and my dad had taken me in to go and look for you know some model kit and stuff. And I saw these flyers and things, and I thought Space Marines were the coolest thing I've ever seen because they looked like Darth Vader and a Stormtrooper sort of combined. So that's <laughs> that's what got me into then the wargaming side, which was a whole revelation of what you buy more than one of these things for an army because you only ever buy one Spitfire or you know one one hundred nine or something. But now you're like, no, you want like three. So you got a squadron and stuff. So anyway, it was quite a long time till I then realized there was a historical version of wargaming. So it's quite strange how much tunnel vision I had looking back on it. Because it's like, of course, there was miniatures of Romans and things. But I can remember thinking after I saw Gladiator, man, wouldn't it be cool if there was historical Warhammer? <laughs> so yeah, I've had a very strange sort of winding path through it, just discovering things by chance. Um so yeah, it's it, it's one of the things I find really interesting. I talk to people when you look back and they'll have an event that sets them on a path. And at the time when that thing happens, they have no idea that that was going to do that to them, but it has these massive implications on their life. So everything um, that I consider um, all these great things in my life has come back from this model set, even um, ending up. <laughs> so it's a bit lateral, but it was Working in Games Workshop, that caused me to meet Roger, and it was then Roger who got me to um, go through certain events, which then allowed me to meet my girlfriend, who is now my fiance, who I'm marrying next month. So I can trace all these things back to building miniatures. <laughs> Isn't that weird? What an advertisement for Airfix. I know. <laughs> I know. So uh, you're welcome, Airfix. I love your Spitfires. <laughs> Well, well, first of all, congratulations about getting married next month. That's that's great oh, news. Thank that's, you. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> so we talked about Games Workshop a little bit. When did you start working for Games Workshop? Uh, did you work at a store first, or did you actually mm -hmm. move into the, the, the factory first? Um, no, I was in the store first. Um, so what happened was I applied to go to university. Um, so, I, <laughs> so this – We'll get to the point, trust me. Um, so I applied to go to university when I was in school. And I, because of studying and things, I'd sort of stopped doing much at that time. I was still vaguely aware of it, but I wasn't really actually engaged. Um, but I got my results. I got a placement to study archaeology. 
And on, I went to go and get the results, and it's like, oh, brilliant. And my mate and I, my friend Nathan, we were like, oh, cool, let's celebrate. Let's go to the cinema. What's on? Terminator 3. So there we are watching Terminator 3, and I'm like, oh, that reminds me of Necrons in Warhammer, the robots, in case you haven't seen them. They basically look just like Terminator robots. And I thought, I wonder if they've updated them since I've not been in the hobby very much. So I went into a store, and they'd updated the lot. And I was like, this is amazing. I've got nothing to do over summer. Have you got a summer job? <laughs> so I managed to blag it. Now, the thing about Games Workshop is they look for staff based upon um, how well they fit into the team. And the guy who was running the store at the time thought I'd fit in really well, even though I didn't have all the latest up-to-date knowledge of it. So um, they gave me a shot, and I got the job, and I ended up working there for four years. So this then, um, all the people who I knew in the retail chain at that time then eventually moved on to working in the studio. So I left the company to go and get like a real job um, selling um, central heating controllers, which is as thrilling as it sounds, right? But the guy who I worked with the shop, Chris Peach, he stayed in the company and he ended up getting a job in the studio. And he got in touch with me one day saying they've got a job opening in what they called the hobby team and you'd be really good at this. So I applied for it and I got that. So then I ended up joining the company again and then I was with them for the next 10 years till I left to do the academy. And uh, yeah, the, the retail was a really interesting experience because you got to meet all sorts of people and it was definitely good to have that frontline experience as to what people are like in the hobby. And I learned and reflecting on my own experience of it too, um, a lot of people didn't struggle with the painting because they didn't know what to do and would also be self-conscious about showing their miniatures to other people. So this was something that um, you know I certainly could reflect on and go, yeah, I, I always felt the same and I was too shy to ask people for help and things. So I was always really keen on teaching people how to paint models. That was my favorite thing when I was working in retail. So then when I ended up working in the studio and I'd be doing, the hobby team would do content for codexes and White Dwarf and stuff. I'd enjoy doing projects where I could do little step-by-step -step painting guides. And so that's really what I dove into, which then led to the TV thing. So yeah, it's been quite a long experience, but I think um, all the places I worked in really gave me a good good grounding in the hobby, I think. And it was really nice. There's lovely people I met in retail, customers who I still talk to now. In fact, I played Warmer Fantasy with one about two months ago. Oh, wow. That's great. So I've got to ask, when did you start using the catchphrase, two thin coats? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I didn't I didn't expect it to be I've got a shirt with it written on that someone gave to me when I was at a, a gaming show and I walked past a shop and they were selling shirts with that phrase written on it. I'm like, oh man. This <laughs> it was never intentional, but I swear that thing's gonna be on my tombstone, that phrase. It just sort of happened because so uh so what I've learned is the best catchphrases are intentional and they're just everyone's got a thing that they say a lot and they don't know it. That was the thing for me when I was doing these painting videos, um, because it's it's like driving a car when you're getting used to it. There's all these things you've got to think about, but you've got to get to the point where you're not really thinking about it, but you are aware of it and you're doing the right motions, giving giving the right shots for the editor, for example, so they have three cameras worth of footage that they can choose what they want to to illustrate the point you're making. And when you're doing this, you inevitably start having things that you say, which you can say by autopilot whilst you're thinking of other things. And one of those things was for me, um, okay, so you apply two thin coats, but that was because that's what you do. And people don't necessarily know at first. I certainly didn't. With my first model, who would, thank God I still got, we have them on the website as an example of where to begin. Now, when no one tells you to apply the paints as thin coats, you just put on the paint and you go, well, I can see the color through it, so I must put on more. And so you do end up putting this really gunky thick layer that dries all lumpy and looks horrible. But when someone goes, no, you put a second coat on thinly and you get that smooth finish and the solid color, it's like, ah, brilliant. There we are. That makes sense. Um, that then gives you a massive step up. So, <laughs> so that's why I was saying it. 
And we had to approach each video assuming that no one had watched a previous one. So that's, again, uh, even though people started picking up on it, it still was the advice that I had to keep on doing because someone might not know. Um, so it stuck. And then people would say it to me and shout it at me. And like I'd be in the supermarket and I'd encounter a hobbyist and they'd say, oh, it's thin coats and stuff. Um, <laughs> so very weird. I don't mind it at all because it's um, it, it's great because it helps people when they're starting out because they'll inevitably hear someone say two thin coats to them and they when they do it, they'll go, ah. So unlike me, who took something like five years of painting miniatures to figure this out, um, they'll they'll get it much faster and so won't go through the same arduous process I did. <laughs> Trust me, I'm one of those people. I was very saved by that. <laughs> uh, I, I do have to ask, uh, you know, how did you originally meet Roger? I mean, you guys are such a, a great crew together and you guys do some great things together. So how did you guys originally meet? Um, well, what happened was I was working in the hobby team um, and the company wanted to update the paint range. And whilst we weren't involved in you know the mixing of the colour of things, but we, we were involved in the testing of them. Um, and they wanted to make this book that came alongside with the range called How to Paint Citadel Miniatures, um, which was designed to be these step-by-step guides on how to paint stuff. And so we all had projects to do as part of that. And we had to paint miniatures up to various stages of completion for photographs and things. Partway through this, um, there was a, a part of the business that started trying to have more of a public presence. So it, it wasn't called marketing at the time, but it was marketing. And part of that was having a TV studio, they called it, where they could do YouTube things. Because this was quite a long time ago. You know, this was 2008, no, no, 2007. So we get used to YouTube just being the common thing nowadays. But back then, it wasn't so much. So the company was just starting to experiment with putting adverts on there. Now, Roger was the guy who uh, was the first person working in that department, who um, he hadn't done video work for a long time, but he was looking to try something new. He applied for it. And in his application for the job, he made a How to Paint a Blood Angel video. And this was something then that the boss really liked and what got him the job, really. And he kept um, wanting to do stuff like that. So it came about with this book being made. The idea came along of, why don't we put a DVD inside it? Because this is before, you know, broadband and stuff. So it was a DVD, which would have a video explaining how to paint models. Now, my schedule happened to be more free than everyone else's at the time. So I was assigned to go and be the hands in this video. So I'm not talking on it. It's a different guy who was talking, but it was my hands showing how to paint the models whilst the voice would then say what I was doing. And that's where I met Roger. And the two of us had a very similar ethic on it, where both of us were understanding that the star of these of what we were doing was the miniature of what we were trying to show on it. Um, and we just wanted to make it as clear as possible. And this was great for me because it sat really well in that tutorial stuff that I used to like doing. And it was just a new level of being able to do what I love doing. So we, we got on really well. Um, we had a very, we basically became friends during the course of doing this shoot, which went on for about six weeks, I think it was, that we did the filming for that that DVD. And there was all sorts of weird anecdotes when we were doing it. So I, I would have a tendency to lean in close to the miniature. And so we had to hang a pendulum from the ceiling to knock my forehead so I'd know I'm going too close because my head was starting to come to shot. So all sorts of little weird things like that. Um, there was markers on the desk as well as to where I was supposed to put my hands and things. So anyway, well, after that, Roger really wanted to push it further. And so he managed to blag having me for two more days out of my schedule, where what we did was his vision of what a video could look like, where we built a Riptide battle suit. So for those not aware of Warhammer, this is a big anime sort of robot. It's quite tall. It's about six or seven inches tall. And um, we did this video showing how to build it step by step. And it's a phenomenally boring video, but 
it did prove the concept. I mean, it's like two hours long, this video showing every single piece being glued onto this thing. Uh, but it proved the concept. And I can remember him coming downstairs, took the footage, he showed it to the boss, and it seems like the boss watched it for all of, I don't know, five minutes or something. And that then approved, all right, Roger, you got something here. Um, we're going to put an, an advert for a presenter. And so I got it. So that's that was, I remember at the time, everyone saying, oh, you're guaranteed to get that job. But also there were people who were saying, don't take it. It's not going to go anywhere. It's a dead end. Um, it's it's going to be awful. And uh, I, like with doing the business, I I came to the conclusion that if I didn't try it and it worked out success or someone else, I'd be kicking myself for the rest of my life wishing I'd done that. Uh, so thank God. So sometimes you got to take a gamble. Sometimes you got to take a risk or you might regret it, right? So yeah, so I did that. And then Roger and I were working together ever since. And we happened to be in um, a soundproof room for most of the time of just the two of us. Now, if you don't get on, you'll kill each other in that situation. But we were there for years doing that, just the two of us. Um, and we certainly had people who didn't think it would work. And we had, you know, um, there were people who wanted to change how things were done and all sorts of stuff. So there was definitely ups and downs. And during that time, both of us had things happen in our private lives. And so the other one would then be supporting them through that issue that was going on. So we actually became very, very close. And we don't always agree on everything, but we have a very good understanding of each other's boundaries and you know how we can discuss things. So we never have a big argument or anything. We just simply talk things out and we come to a conclusion that gives middle ground. So yeah, it's, it's as I say, when leaving to set up the academy, we were very lucky to be in a situation where we had that asset because both of us had the same ethic. We understood what it was. Um, we both understood that we need each other for it to work. So yeah, yeah, very lucky really, but he's great. He's the, uh, in fact, he's the best man at the wedding, which I feel is uh, appropriate, right? So <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 really lucky that the two of us should just happen to hit it off so well. So again, lucky I, were, I had that <laughs> free two days in my schedule. <laughs> well, that's great. That's great. I, I really appreciate your time with me and uh, I'm going to pass it over here to uh, Scott. Okie doke. Uh, your work certainly inspires a lot of modelers, a lot of miniature painters. So I want to talk for a minute about who your modeling influences are. Who's modeling and painting um, have you looked to for inspiration? Um, well, over my years at Games Workshop, I'd look to what Chris Peach was doing for inspiration um, because he has a very clever way of looking at things and getting a result that you never would have expected um, using just paint solutions to change what a miniature looks like and find details and things or creating things, custom miniatures, creating color schemes. He was always very, very good for that sort of thing. And he's a genius when it comes to painting models fast as well. So when it comes to painting like a large scale army. So he painted a Napoleonic British army where he did so many units. And then all of a sudden he had a week off and he painted something like um, two regiments of cavalry and three or four regiments of infantry. Now, each one of the each cavalry unit is twelve miniatures. Each infantry unit is twenty-four miniatures. Now, I might be exaggerating looking back on it, but I remember him turning up to a game and suddenly having this mass of new troops. Like, how did you do that? And he's like, "Oh, it's easy. I just did, 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 did. so yeah, genius for that sort of thing. I know no one better at, at speed painting. Also, I think um, Angel Giraldes I find to be very inspirational for the sort of things that he does online, and he just seems like a lovely chap as well. Um, but he's um, he just takes very simple things with just a few colors. And you can see just, just the way he's manipulating the paint can start to come to these extraordinary results, um, which I always find absolutely fascinating to see, especially his little Instagram reels where he's doing all you know, these little sections sped up. So him definitely. Uh, yeah, and I, I'd have to say as well, the uh, my friend Steve Bauman as well, he's still at Games Workshop. Um, he has um, a beautiful way of painting faces on miniatures to really bring the life out of them in a way that um, I struggle to see exactly how he does it as quickly as he does it but so neatly as well. Um, that guy's painted some stunning armies, stunning. Uh, when I first met him, he painted an Empire Avaland army, which is yellow and black uniforms with the, you know, the Lanchnext are 
pantaloons and things, big feathers and stuff. Yeah, absolutely uh, beautiful seeing something like that arranged and all the imagination put in it. That I always found to be a very inspiring thing. If someone were to press you and say, what do you feel your strongest techniques are? Uh, what would you say? Oh, uh, blimey. Um, <laughs> um, I'm not really sure I could point towards strongest te- techniques. I think, so I'm aware that I'm what I'd call a tabletop standard painter is the sort of thing I do. So my interest is not in high-end competition painted miniatures, but I want to make a, an arm that looks really pretty on the tabletop. So that's, that's my goal. Um, so I think really my greatest skill with that sort of thing is being neat at that level, if that makes sense. Now, I have experimented with doing some higher-end painting things, and I can see how it's done, but I'm aware for my own hobby, it's just not really my sort of thing, I want to paint more troops than just one model. I think really my strongest um, skill in this area is teaching stuff, I think, um, of making things clear. So I, I've, I mean, I, I assume <laughs> over the years, lots of people have told me I've got a way of explaining things that makes it very approachable. And we've seen evidence of that with the Academy. Um, so we started doing some videos with more advanced techniques. So we did a video with wet blending, for example, and we encountered this, um, oh, it was, so Bernice, who handles our admin, she looks around online every now and then see what people are saying about things. And she found one where people were talking about practicing some skills. They couldn't do it. And they watched the video on the website and 10 minutes later, they were doing it. And uh, that's that's a wonderful thing. So I think my strongest skill isn't necessarily the painting itself. It's about teaching the painting, which I'm perfectly happy with. Yeah, you know, that's interesting. I actually had uh, a, a number of questions around this particular concept that I think as good a painter as you are, you're a really good communicator and a really good teacher. And I think that's a unique skill that not everybody who is a good painter has. So what that unique something to help people and to teach people, where do you think that comes from? Um, I think it's, I think it largely comes back to when I was younger. Um, I, so I was very shy when I was a kid. I was very introverted. Um, if 12 year old me knew what was going to happen, he'd be terrified. I, I tell you. It wasn't until I was about uh, 17 or so that I managed to come out of my shell really and be able to talk on a, a stage and things. Um, so I think it, it's, it's seeing it's an experience I've had of asking questions and uh, being talked back to like you're an idiot <laughs> to me. I think that's that's what drove me to. I hate that because um, if someone really wants to do something and they get put off it because someone's horrible to them just on one day, they might be having a bad day. Okay, so everyone's in a bad mood now and then, but uh, that can have that consequence where it has that effect on people. And um, even if they're not just being mean, I've seen other things where um, someone who is, again, shy and introverted came into the store to play a game and he had a new tower army that he painted. So this is a real thing that happened. New tower army painted and he turned upon, it was a bank holiday gaming day that we were doing in the store. And he played against a guy that wrecked him. And if you're shy and stuff, you feel embarrassed, right? And it's, oh, so off he goes, never saw him again. So it's things like that, that got me thinking, I don't want that to happen. Um, I want people to be enjoy it. So for me, it's um, that's the focus that I find to be magic of um, fighting that. You know, I, I want to do this thing, but I'm scared of it for this reason. It's like, well, you don't need to be because it's not difficult. It's not hard. Um, just got to ask a question. It's no stupid question. We'll help you out. So I think that's where it all came from. That's awesome. I think, you know, that kind of speaks to what we try to do with our podcast is you you can kind of, you can find whatever you look for. You can approach any situation from sort of a negative angle or a positive angle and you can build people up or you can, you know, tear people down. I think uh, that perspective is really valuable. Yeah, I, I think so. It's, um, yeah, just little, little things can make a difference, I think. And, um, yeah, I sure don't want to ever be responsible for um, someone feeling like they can't do something. So 
Well, I want to get back to techniques. Uh, you know, we asked sort of about your strongest. Uh, what is a technique that you would like to perfect or maybe even one you haven't tried before that you'd like to try? Um, so something I want to perfect definitely is object source lighting, because this is something I've generally not done much of my, on my own models, because um, I appreciate that it looks really cool. So like a, a Jedi with a lightsaber or something like that. It looks really, really cool, really convincing. And I've seen some stunning examples of people doing it where the thing looks like it's glowing. Um, but part of me, when looking at a miniature, can't help but think, all right, so it's stood next to a green crystal and part of its leg's now green. Do you know what I mean? So it's like if the effect isn't exactly right, it, in my mind, I'm like, why is his leg green? So, um, so this is something that's just led to me to just not do it very much. Um, it's something I definitely want to practice more because I'd love. I've seen some, like I say, some stunning examples of it, and I'd love to be able to do that sort of thing. I want to experiment using some oil washers too. Um, so I've got the materials to do that, and that's something I, I just got to find the time to do. But that looks like a really good way of being able to paint, um, doing all your shading on things in a nice, quick way. Uh, it looks like it might be difficult to control, so we'll see. But it's yeah, it looks interesting. It looks like it's got potential. I think especially on large tanks um, of doing the pin washers to get all your shading on there. I, I'd, I'd like to do that. Uh, also, I'd like to have a go at some scale modeling stuff. So my field has always been in the war gaming with just little bits going out of there every now and then. But I'd like to try doing something like um, a, a diorama, maybe. So I've, I saw one that was a Spitfire with a ground crew just stood around it. And like just something like that would be really cool to try as something different. So this I'm aware is a whole different field of things, uh, but it'd be fascinating to learn about it i saw another amazing one a guy did a, vid did a video on youtube of painting a africa core tank and i think it was a 132nd scale tank and it was a stug if i remember correctly and the the weathering effects on it was stunning and so and again he put it as a diorama on a square base with you know tank tracks and things something like that i think will be fun to try as well do you ever attend uh, telford have you ever been to telford or plan on going i have not no um what's telford <laughs> Ivan? <laughs> um, so so it, we always call it Telford, but it's Scale Model World. It's the, the big UK Nationals uh, scale model show. Uh, it's mm. in November every year at the International Centre. It's humongous. It's it's really busy. It's a massive show. It's, um, it's like a scale model Comic-Con. That sounds awesome. <laughs> it, it, it is. Oh. It's an incredible show. Oh, I've got to go and see that. That sounds great. <laughs> I had no idea. Um, I mean, I, I was aware there were shows, but I didn't know there was one there in the UK that scale. I've got to go and check that out. That sounds great. Oh, I'll send you the details. <laughs> oh, thank you. All right. Last question, and then I'm going to turn turn the time over to Ivan. Um, for your own modeling, do you prefer to paint with a paintbrush or with an airbrush? Or are you just pretty much uh, equally enthusiastic about using both methods? Um, I use a paintbrush um, because it's what I've by far away got the most experience with. With airbrushes, I can see they'll be useful for particular jobs and the way I paint things. But back at Games Workshop, because uh, <laughs> quite simply because the company didn't sell one, uh, that's why we didn't use them in videos. Um, now, whilst things are obviously changing now, you know they've got the, the air paints and things like that. That was the main reason that we didn't do anything there with it. So it means that I just sort of carried on in the same way that I paint stuff. Now, if I was going to do the scale modeling... I can definitely see why an airbrush would be needed for that. So that's another, I suppose, thinking back to your question about techniques, that's another thing to really look into. Because whilst I've got basic knowledge of it, there's definitely more to it than what I'm experienced with. But yeah, all my own stuff is uh, painted by hand with brushes. Um, and I've got a mass amount of brushes right over there. And uh, yeah, <laughs> all, all shapes and sizes. Before I get into my main questions, I have to ask, have you met Henry Cavill yet? No, no, I have not. Um, he looks like a really nice chap, so it would be, it'd be nice to. Um, maybe one day I'll get lucky. One day. 
Uh, sorry, I just I had to get that one in. <laughs> I think it was a surprise to everyone when he suddenly started talking about custodies and pointing at chandelier saying it looks like a Blackstone Fortress. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the coolest nerd around. I know. Uh, apparently there's been a, there's a few um, folks in Hollywood who were into it. Apparently um, Robin Williams was, mm. and um, he'd phone up his local store or, or the mail order, and when he was doing his orders, he'd phone up pretending to be things like Nurgle. And like, kind of, <laughs> greetings, I'm here too. And they'd be like, oh, hello, Robin. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that's true, because that's a really nice story. Um, I want to get back to uh, talking about your paint line, uh, Tooth and mm. Coats, uh, which I still think is an excellent name for uh, a brand of paints. Um, <laughs> these paints, they're not rebranded. They are completely developed formulas and colours all by yourself, correct? That is correct. Yes, yes. So um, I mixed all the colours uh, back in, it was December 2020, I think it was, over the Christmas holidays where I mixed them. Uh, was it 2020 or was it 2021? Man, everything's just become a blur. It was 2020. It's 2020. So yeah, so I mixed all the colours, all 60, um, and Roger and I worked on choosing what those were going to be, and we developed our triad system based around that um, within the parameters of what um, Transatlantis had, which originally was going to be 30 paints, but actually grew up to 60 because we wanted to be a comprehensive range, or at least a core of one. And yeah, they were then sent off to the factory, who then started sending us samples of the base of what the paint would be on. And I chose the ones for that based upon how I liked painting things. So it was basically just black and white for that. Then they started, sent a few samples of colours with that base and a few adjustments were made. And then they did them all. And then we spent some time um, at the factory doing adjustments on each colour one at a time to make, firstly, be the colour we want. So the triad works as a, as a triad. Um, but also to make sure the paint behaves in the way that ideally I'd want it to. Because it was all framed around, if you could have your perfect paint, Duncan, what is it? It's quite a big question. Suddenly get asked that because you're like, uh, one that flows nicely the one that covers stuff <laughs> so you know i'm not into the the nitty-gritty of the technicalities of it really but what came out of it was they made this just really lovely lovely paint this lovely base for it so it's um the distinctive thing about it is that it feels really smooth now there is a reason for that and the chemical makeup which the scientists explain well they, you know, what they call the chemical engineers I believe is their official name. Um, they explained it all, and it's all words that in individual context I understand, but in that order I didn't. And it's all—it's fascinating, actually, when they start telling you about what goes into paint. And if you found out, you'd stop licking your paintbrushes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the result was they got this really smooth consistency that um, covers really well and doesn't leave brush marks behind. And then the metallics, they tried out some new thing that they were doing, and they ended up getting metallics that, again, are really shiny, very smooth, and cover really nicely. So for the way I paint things, they're ideal and... I suppose a mark of it is that when I'm painting my own stuff, I use them now rather than like Citadel or Army Painter or whatever. I just started using those because I prefer those. Um, let me plug in the products. <laughs> but that's a good thing, right? Because if I wasn't, that'd be really bad. Um, so yeah, so yes, to answer your question, yeah, they all are all developed. Um, Roger and I worked on each one. We approved each one before it went out the door. Uh, that, that's really good to hear. It's nice to have a, a nice new original product. Um, what were the priorities for you? What was like missing from other paints that made you decide, yes, we're going to develop our own? Um, well, I really like having a structure to it rather than a shotgun blast of colours because um, if you're going to a range new that you don't know and you've got all these paints, and it's one thing to see all, like, all the colours and things, but when you look at them, you go, well, is, are these designed to work together or what? Like, how? What can I highlight this with? So we wanted to make sure it was built around that idea. Um, Try just something that's been done numerous times and people really like it, so that just seemed like a really solid idea to based on. The, uh, the, the thing, really, of um, just what I wanted them to do was address it. There are some... Uh, so as you're painting, you'll encounter colours that some you like, some you don't, and there'll be 
whilst you might like the color, it's the paint, the it's the the way it behaves can be the frustrating thing. So best example I can think of top of my head would be warpstone glow. The sit paint warpstone glow. You ever tried painting salamanders? Um, so for those not aware, emerald green space marines. That's their main color, and it's a frustratingly thin paint. So thin coats, right? Lots of them to get it even, and that's just always, I've always found it a bit annoying. It was things like, okay, so I want our emerald green. Um, whilst it's not exactly the same color, I want it to address that coverage. And that coverage then becomes the main thing. Because I can look at loads of colors of different manufacturers and go, yeah, I really like that. But if it's a case of you have to keep on layering it loads and loads of times, this is the thing I find really frustrating. So I want to make sure the paint can do that easily, but also be thinned down if you want to be glazing with it. So that was the sort of main factor for me to get right in, a, in the core of all of it. Yeah, that's that's, that's a good point because there's many paints that well colors that i like but no matter how many layers if it's too thin or 10 thin it's just it's not covering it's not doing what i want so that's that's a good priority uh, to have and it's it's something i'm really looking forward to trying because i'm screaming out for a, a good figure painting line of paints <laughs> well, hopefully this will be the one <laughs> i guess we'll find out soon enough we shall but, find out <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Um, how many paint shades do you currently offer? Uh, and do you offer clear coats, washes, and how, uh, are there more colours planned for the range? Yes. Uh, so at the moment, there are 60 paints. Well, technically 63, but in the main core starting range, there are 60. Um, those extra three I mentioned, there are two blood paints, blood effects, and there's a medium as well for washes. Um, in the main range itself, what you have is um, six washes, and there are six metallics as well. Yes, that's correct. And then the rest of them are um, standard, you know, regular acrylic style paints. So these colors are chosen because they're uh, the main ones that I like to use when I'm painting stuff. So there's quite a few neutral tones in there, but it's because whatever you're painting, you're going to be using colors like that. And if you're doing something that has lots of leathers on, it gives you loads of different colors, different tones and things, and lots of khakis and stuff. Then there are, of course, your primary and secondary colors, which had to be in there. So these were important things that sort kind of direct what it is to begin with. And we always had it in mind that this was just going to be the starter core range to get things going. And if it's successful, it will then expand. Um, Well, good news, everything has been successful. So it is going to expand with another 60 colors, which will appear in due course. And I have been mixing, well, in fact, I finished them and uh, testing's happening soon. So you're going to see an expansion of it. And that's when you're going to get all sorts of interesting colors, combinations and things, um, lots of different tones and things to use. So it's whilst at the moment it's all right. So it's lots of bright colors and lots of neutral colors. Where's the fun things like the turquoises and stuff? Well, there's going to be loads of those, um, loads of olive greens and stuff. You don't realize how many shades of green that there are that you want to use on stuff. I really thought, like, I remember looking at ranges and going, why are there loads of these olive greens? Then you realize, oh, okay, that's why there's loads of olive greens. <laughs> so yeah, there's lots of green on the way you got orc skin you got military ones you got the like natural ones you got the vibrant ones you got the jade ones you got turquoises sort of um so yeah <laughs> but yeah definitely more on the way excellent it's great to hear uh what are your future plans for both the paint range and as well as the website and the social media platforms um, so on the website, we are, we've got some ideas. I, I, Roger would kill me if I talked too much about some other <laughs> things we're planning. Uh, we've got a really cool thing that we're working on for the website, which is going to be something I think that is missing from it right now. So it's going to be quite a big feature. Um, it's going to be a cool thing connected to the account of everyone who's on the site. So you get this thing that will track you as you go along. Um, I think that's going to be really cool. We're also looking at having some, so we're not quite nailed out the details of it yet, but we want to have some sort of entertainment-y kind of thing. So this might take the form of a podcast of our own, or it might be us playing something like Dungeons and Dragons or something like that, or it might be some um, informational videos on various things in the hobby that I find interesting and can talk about. Um, it, it's going to be some 
form of content like that, which is going to get added to it. Um, the big hurdle for it is find the time to do it because our time is jammed with all the responsibilities we've got. So it probably means getting someone to help us with something else so it takes the pressure off so we can do that. Uh, those are the next things. For the um, for the paints, um, there's the expansion to the range that's going to happen. There'll probably be some things appearing on the side, so maybe brushes, you know, we'll wait and see. And we created a little range of figures to go with the initial Kickstarter for the paints too. Um, so these are very wholesome characters or Saturday morning cartoon style characters where Sir Coates who's our mascot is like the the hero of it but we've also got the bad guy who's Baron Von Evil um, so he's the bad guy just to be clear he's got a big flaming skull head and things so we thought well, you know, we might be able to do something with that so watch this space on those well that's great it's, it's great to see uh, um, that everything's going so well and that you're expanding it's, it's really good to see <laughs> It's gone far better than we could have hoped for. <laughs> uh, we, we couldn't believe. We can't believe it, really. We uh, so we had a little um, a, a trip out to. So there's a, a restaurant nearby where our studio is, and so one lunchtime we'd done really well for the week. We got all the shooting um, done, and we were like, "Oh, let's go and ha- have some lunch." So um, all of us went out and. Um, we had this, we were eating, and I was just sitting there sort of like thinking, this is crazy. This is amazing to be able to do something that we love so much and in be enjoying it. And, you know, it, it was risky and everything, all this all this scary stuff, but it's paid off. And it's all because people are willing to support us and they believe in what we're doing and they get something out of it. Um, so to any anyone out there who follows us or who's a member of our website, Back the Kickstarter, thank you so much for everything um, because it's, it's extraordinary and... Every now and then it hits me of just how lucky I am to be in this position. And yeah, so thanks to everybody supporting us. It really means the world. Yeah, the community is, um, especially in this hobby, is special. It is. Yeah. I thought everyone would hate me when all this stuff started, you know, <laughs> back at Games Workshop, because people didn't like Games Workshop back then. And I thought I'd become the locus for everything. Um, but the opposite happened. So thank goodness. No, you're, you're, you're a hero to a lot of people. <laughs> it's, it's a mad world but, <laughs> but yeah I'm just, I'm just really glad that people are able to engage with what we're doing and paint their miniatures better and enjoy it because at the end of the day that's what you want people to do um, yeah it is speaking of enjoying it what's currently on your workbench oh so um, I had a, a an epiphany when talking to um, so Scott so Miniac um, I, I did a podcast with him and uh, we had a discussion about uh, how you keep focus and stuff and he's like try and keep two projects you know, only have two that you're working on at a time I'm trying to do that um, I'm not doing the best at it uh, the thing directly on my table right now is some Napoleonics but I've also got some Necromunda Ash Waste stuff as well so from Ash Waste I really like the Nomads so I'm painting a warband of those I've got my colour scheme nailed down now and uh, I'm just trying to work out how to paint those giant fleas that they ride around on they're really cool there's such imagination having all these weird creatures and you can just feel the atmosphere and the the culture of it. so i really like those um napoleonics is my uh major wargaming love that i've been painting for a long long time and uh i've just recently i've basically started reboxing my french army because um, it was in this big tub and it, it wasn't keeping them safe so i started moving them all over to these really useful boxes and magnetizing everything Whilst I was doing it, I was like, oh, yeah, I did start rebasing that cavalry unit, and uh, I never finished those as ours. Hmm, I should do that. And then I encountered this rule set called um, Lazelle, which um, apparently is the sort of game I want to play, where it's a six-foot-by-four-foot table, and you have maybe 12 units. And I'm like, that's the sort of game I want to play. Am I guys right for that? Like, oh, okay, so I need to paint a few cannons for that. Okay, I can do it. So it's all of a sudden, it's just grown into... So, yeah, right now over there, I've got my light cavalry brigade with the 
chasseurs, they're called, that I'm rehorsing. I've got six hussars I need to paint. I've got an officer to lead the, the group. And then I've got another piece of horse artillery I need to do. And after that's done, once I get that done, if I'm good, I'll reward myself with a, a limbered up artillery piece, you know, with all the guys and the horses and stuff. I think that'd look really cool. I've always wanted to paint one of those. So that's the current thing. Aside from that, I've got a million other half-painted miniatures, which I really ought to finish. Uh, <laughs> I've got this um, box set of a Cthulhu game um, called Death May Die. It's made by Cool Mini or Not. Um, it's a bit like Space Hulk for anyone who's played a thing like that. It's a bit like a board game where you're all playing these investigators who are trying to stop Cthulhu from destroying the world. Now, in the core game of that, you get two great old ones, to, and it's actually really clever. If anyone's interested in playing a board game, definitely recommend this one. Depending on which one of these entities you pick, you get half a deck, which you shuffle into the scenario deck, and there's six scenarios, so you get this unique combination, um, and it changes how that scenario works. So I've finished Cthulhu and all his minions, but I've not yet painted the king in yellow, so Hasta. I need to paint him. It's the one figure left in that box that I need to paint, so that's something I ought to finish and be good. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of other things too. I've got some Ice and Fire miniatures just there. I've got some uh, Conquest miniatures from Parabellum. Two. I've got some historicals, some um, some Vikings. That's what it is. I've got some Flames of War, British for late war that I need to do, and some Hungarians too. Yeah, I've got too much stuff. We're all the same though in this hobby, right? Yep. We've all got a pile of shame, <laughs> right? It's not just me. <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> like you wouldn't believe. Oh yeah, I've I've got really far and wide interests. So there's all sorts of things. This week we painted a Chaos Knight, one of these new Chaos Knights that Games Workshop had done, and in the box that came with it, there's some little ones called War Dogs. Like, oh, I actually really like the colour scheme for this faction called House Lacaris. I could paint some of those. But no, I've got a f- two projects. Two. Be good. Two. <laughs> well, that's, that's quite an impressive backlog of work you've got. But mm. um, given the choice, what would be your magnum opus? The big dream build you've always wanted to do. Um, I think I'd like to have a go at this Spitfire um, that I mentioned earlier in a scale modelling way. Also, since I was a kid, I've always wanted to paint an A10 Warthog, and I never have. So that's something that I think might be a really... If I could do a really detailed... You know, maybe one of those dioramas you see where they're, they're landed, so all the undercarriages down and everything, the, the hatch is open, and maybe all the weapons laid out on ground crew. Is it Something like that, I think, would be a really cool thing. I know Roger would say the best thing you should do would be something of the water effect in, like a tank driving into water or something like that, or a, a ship. Or But I think I'd like to have a go at an aeroplane. So I think scale modelling is a thing I'd like to do. I suppose um, on the wargaming side of it, though, I think I'd like to um, be able to set up a big Napoleonic battle where I can provide both armies and pick some sort of real battle and base it on that. And um, I don't know which battle that would be because, you know, Waterloo comes to mind, but you always see that. So I'd be tempted to try something a little bit more niche. So something like Leipzig, maybe something like that. I think, uh, yeah, that's, I, I think that could also be a magnum opus if I could have so a vision of having a gaming room of which I don't have right now, but maybe one day. Big war games table where I've made all of the scenery. It's got all rolling hills and things like that. It's got villages, whatever and two fully painted Napoleonic armies all set up, ready to go. I think that would be, uh, for me, for the gaming side of thing, that would be what I'd like to do. Maybe a campaign of it, of something like that as well. So, if, you know, some friends who are also into that era and having us all having a big map of Europe and us all trying to conquer it, maybe something like that. Um, yeah, I, I think it's for the what I enjoy most. Um, so the scaling modeling is the thing I'm interested in having a go at, but I think for the sort of things I know I enjoy right now, that big sort of epic battle setup thing, I think that's what it would be. Duncan, are you familiar with uh, Night Shift on YouTube, Martin Kovacs' channel? I am not, no. 
you should you should definitely check it out. He's he is a primarily an armor builder, but he just recently did a Mark IV World War One British tank in a, in a like a kind of a crater that's full of water. And oh, wow. uh, you might want to take a look at that. You and Roger might uh, get a kick out of that. Yeah, he's a, he's an incredible modeler, and uh, where you're interested in some of the scale modeling, I think you might enjoy that. Mm, I shall look that up. That sounds amazing. Yeah, well, I, I'm sure we'll take a look at that, and then Roger will go, we should do that. And I'll be like, oh, <laughs> time to learn some new things. I did see one of, um, so it kept popping up on my YouTube thing as recommended. It was a submarine that was exploding underwater. Do you know this one? I can't think of the, the channel, but it's incredible. How do you do that? How do you model an explosion underwater? <laughs> it's mind-boggling, but it looks amazing, and it looks so convincing as well. And just that moment just caught. That's the thing as well when it comes to dioramas. A lot of the skill is just getting it, so it's that moment where some you can just feel what's about to happen. That, I imagine, is something that's very hard to capture, but yeah, some of these people you see doing these things, they absolutely do it, and it looks stunning. Indeed. There's a there's a lot of talented people who uh, out on the internet who make me very envious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, just going back to your uh, paints, uh, where can modelers find your paints in the UK, in the US, and in Australia? Okay, so right now, um, they are not yet on sale, but they will be soon. And the reason is because it was done by Kickstarter. And right now, the basically all the paints are being sold to Kickstarter. Now, the backers should have got their stuff sooner. They should have had them by now. But just one thing after another has delayed stuff that's always been beyond our control. Now, the, they'll be getting through Kickstarter, through the, um, uh, the communication there. They'll be getting information as to what is happening. But uh, yeah, believe you me, there was <laughs> sourcing materials and where they've come from and then trying to transport them. And things like that. So I won't go into the details, but yeah. Uh, now, once uh, we're very determined that the backers get their stuff before it goes into retail because they believed in us and we want them to get it first. So once that's happened, which um, I don't have a concrete date, I can just tell you that filling them and some of them have already been sent out. Once that's happening, they'll start to appear in retail. So certainly by the end of the year, you'll see them. Now, these will appear in hobby shops all over the place. And uh, they'll, I believe the plan is to either have a big box set, we get them all, smaller box sets or individual paints, which is what most people are going to want, of course. Now, in the US, um, they'll be appearing again in hobby stores, um, and it's Asmodee who's going to be distributing them. And uh, in Europe, Transatlantis are also going to be putting them there. So as my understanding is, the idea is to do them in the UK first, which makes sense because they're made here, and then start spreading them out over the world based around that. So soon is the best I can say <laughs> is when you'll be able to buy them. Excellent. Well, that's all the questions from me. Uh, thank you very much for your time, and I'll, uh, I'll throw you back over to Scott. Awesome. Well, Duncan, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. And uh, it sounds like your business is doing well, which is is terrific. So obviously continued success. Uh, looking forward to getting our hands on some of your paints and uh, we'll continue to follow you on social media. So give everybody your website address, where they can find you on social media. Just kind of review that for everybody. Absolutely. So you can find us on social media, on YouTube, first of all. The channel is Duncan Rhodes Painting Academy. On Instagram, you can find me at Duncan J. Rhodes. And we're on Facebook as well, which is again, Duncan Rhodes Painting Academy. Now, if on YouTube, you'll see we've got a number of painting videos. We upload there every two weeks. And the videos on there are all on our website too, but they're very much a taster of the sort of things we have on there. And on the website, we have many much big videos. Some of them are over an hour long, covering all sorts of things. Um, so that is our website, which is DuncanRhodes.com, which is a membership website where it's $3.99 a month where you get access to the library videos, which at the moment are over 200. You also get access to the reference gallery and the forum as well. And in the future, there'll be more things too. So yeah, that's the best place to find us. That's a really reasonable cost too, you know, if it's less than most Patreon. So yeah, that's a fantastic value. 
we uh, we calculated it to um, we obeyed in a in a perfect world we wouldn't charge for it at all. But we did our research and we knew that if we did it on Patreon, then we wouldn't we probably wouldn't make the sort of money what we want to be able to make to be able to support ourselves. So that's why we went with the membership model and we made it as uh, low as we thought we could dare to be able to make a living um, based on what we projected we'd get. Um, so yeah, there we go. Some people tell us we should have charged more. I, I don't know. I'm quite happy with it personally. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, it's um, yeah. Everyone who supports us, uh, we love them to bits, and uh, we do our best. And we uh, are always open to requests from members as well um, on anything, anything they want to see. Which is why every now and then we start doing these quite niche um, games and subjects and things that people might not have heard of before. Um, so it's always fun to be able to show people these other things too. Well, that seems really consistent with you know the way that you try to help people and. In- the way that you look uh, to teach people what you do. Um, so that's that's terrific. It, it makes your model even more attractive um, to see that you're, you know, building the community. You consider things as costs and it's been great to hear what your priorities were for paint. You know, you just want to make everything a little bit better. So that's really, really terrific. Well, um, hopefully you and Ivan can hook up at, at, at Telford. Yeah. And uh, go, go check that out together at some point. And uh, hopefully we can have you back on the posse sometime. But in the meantime, uh, thank you so much for joining us, Grant. Thank you for kind of helping put this together. Ivan, terrific questions as always. And just appreciate it. Appreciate your time, Duncan. Thank you very much for having me. It's um, It's been really nice chatting to you. Awesome. Thank you. All right. That was certainly an awesome interview with Duncan. You know, I'm amazed at his YouTube channel. I think he's got one of the best out there. I I mean, he's super nice and I'm really grateful that he dedicated his time, you know, because he's in such high demand. He's, he's a star. He's a celebrity. He's the real deal. And certainly thank him for spending time with the posse and, and, you know, sharing his story. And I'm super stoked to check out more of his line of paints and always following his videos because He's got a great way of communicating and also just a really quality product. So again, Duncan, from the posse to you, thank you. So now we're going to turn our attention back to the Nats. You know, there are a couple big things going on. We have the Triple P Value Gear M3, M4 Sherman Lee group build. We're up to 23 completed builds. That might be 24 now with Ivan's latest edition, the Mayberry. But that is certainly exciting. I've seen some great progress online. I saw Matt McDougall posted his T10 progress. And I believe the wheels are painted with some mud. And it's looking really, really good. And there's a lot of other great progress in the group. I don't know if you gentlemen want to talk about any specific examples, but you know, I'm just super happy, super proud of what's going on there. Just Peter Fidlotsky. I, I, I said your name wrong, Peter. I'm so sorry, but man, that project of that tank with the trailer and then um, over on the geeks, Whitey's Sherman and also mm. Frildo Sherman, man, those things are looking incredible. I, I cannot wait to see all these group build entries on the table together. You guys, it's going to be intense. Yeah, you know, I got to say, Whitey did a pretty good job for, you know, just a run-of-the-mill aircraft modeler, you know, <laughs> venturing over here into the on the dark side. You know, I guess he's tired of winning awards with his aircraft, so he's going to come over here and build some tanks. But uh, man, the, the camo he did on that thing is really cool. Um, I hooked him up with that color plate from the ammo um, Sherman American Miracle book. Um, it's really neat, and uh, I think the story behind it was, at least according to the color plate, is the Polish crew that tank found some 
Dunkle Gelb from a store, I, you know, a, a field shop or whatever that they overran and decided to camouflage their tank with it. And, uh, it's like this weird, almost like the Malta pattern that you'd see on, um, on, uh, the Valentine's. It's not that as small, but very similar, like little blocks. You know, it's, he did a really good job. The, the camo is super tight, which I, I've told him mm. multiple times. And then, um, also want to shout out to John. I'm going to butcher your last name. I think it's Colistain, something like that. Sorry, John, but your grant looks awesome. Uh, it's hard to go wrong with a, a seventh armor division desert ras grant, you know, especially, you know, out, Battle of El Alamein. It's a legendary battle in World War II and in uh, the desert. And his grant looks really good. And I believe it's on the way to your house, John, or John. Yeah, I believe so. He's shipping it over and it's going to be, again, super exciting to get one of the participants entries here. You know, we'll do a little photo shoot. I just think it's, it's great. And again, super humbling, super thankful for our listeners supporting this effort. I think it's going to be great. I think it's going to be awesome to have Patrick's build there, a little commemoration to him. So there's, there's a lot of good activity. No, you know, I also wanted to give a shout out to Chris McLean. He's making progress on his Sherman. I think he's about to just lay some paint on it, which is great. And then we also have Robert Morales, which is doing a Marine Corps Sherman as well, which is pretty cool. So there is, there's some really good work going on in that group and just every day is, is very inspiring there. And of course, um, friend of the podcast, Zach Pease finishes ugandan sherman it looks really good yeah that is sweet that is really cool and and spoiler alert scott and i had an opportunity to talk to him about it and among other things so you guys can look forward to an interview with zach coming up in the future when we slot him in so that's uh it's, it's just a really unique subject and it's it's awesome to have those minor nations represented yeah and i can't wait to see that trio of uh, vehicles that ivan's bringing with him from the uk those things look great in photos but uh, we all know they're gonna look twice as good in real in real life i hope so if not we're gonna have to put them on a separate table or something yeah that good they just go under the table. <laughs> <laughs> i intend on bringing another two problem is one of them I wanted to start today isn't arriving until Monday because of the Platinum Jubilee has stopped all postage for the next four days. So I have to wait for the, the add-on armor 76 Sherman. So it's an awesome kit. I have that kit. It does it's really pretty. cool. And it's it Ryfield. Very cool. Yeah. Ryfield kits are awesome. They make great Shermans. Certainly do. Ivan on the Mayberry. I mean, you talked a little <laughs> bit about you're happy with the weathering. Talk to us a little bit about how you got those dust effects because I agree with you. I think it looks really good. Um, so I for the actual dirt and debris build up, I used actual sand and then just held that in place with the VMS uh, gravel sand fixer. And the only earth effect I've used is the MIGMO thick soil, and that's it. And a lot of that was applied and then dry blended. Because for some reason, when I don't know, there's clearly something wrong with my technique that whenever I use enamel thinners to, to blend, it's not that I get a tide mark, but it's like a separation of pigment. And then it, it looks really weird on the model. It doesn't look smooth. It doesn't look natural. It just looks speckly and really weird. So it's a dry blended enamel thick soil. And I think it's a nice color. I didn't want to use the dry earth because that's that's quite light and yellowy. The thick soil's more uh, a desaturated gray brown. Really good color. So I was I was really happy with how that turned out, especially on a, the the stone yellow light stone camouflage. I didn't want it too light. Yeah, I loved it. Thought it was great. So another group build we have to mention our brothers in arms over at the Model Geeks. You know, I could I guess you could say our air cover for that matter is having the A4 group build 
you know, mine is still in a minor state of construction, but there is a goal to get it done because we have to be good tenants of our commitments. Uh, so I'm going to at least try to get mine done. But, you know, out of all of us, Doug, I think you've made the most progress on yours. You know, you mentioned it a little bit about a little bit of it earlier. Could you talk about more of, you know, where you're at and then what, what actual scooter are you doing? What markings are you putting it in? Oh my gosh. As far as markings, I'm not entirely sure. I've got the, uh, the devil dogs, uh, decal sheet for the A4M. I was going to do sidewinders, but I saw someone else has already done the sidewinders and, you know, it's reptiles. I had, I, I had to consider it at least. So I am just touching up a couple spots on some seams and then it's ready for primer. I need to get an ejection seat for it already, but I went ahead and, and plugged away at the whole thing. I'll, I'll put the seat in later. It's going to be low vis. That's one thing I know for sure. Oh man, I'm just, I'm looking forward to laying some paint down on it just because I haven't done anything like it in a long, long time and I haven't. I certainly didn't know the techniques then that I know now. So it'll be fun. I'm going to black base it for sure because it's low vids. It'll be it'll be a good one for that. Well, we all need to make some progress on our, our group build entries because posse listeners out there, we have a co-live stream with the Model Geeks and the Plastic Posse coming up on Saturday, uh, June 18th at 8 p.m. Eastern. So make sure you uh, tune in. We'll have that on Facebook and also uh, YouTube. But uh, yeah, a bunch of us better make some uh, progress on our group builder. The geeks will probably let us have it in that live stream. For sure. Well, I think that's about wrapping up our, our coverage of group builds for the Nats. I certainly can't wait until we get there and, and get everyone in line. And I'm going to probably reach out to the club there and say, hey, we got a pretty big display coming. I know they account for those things, but it's going to be great. Can't wait. All right. We hope to see you there. Now I'm going to pass it over to TJ that's going to cover our main discussion topic for tonight. Take it away, TJ. All right. So I, I got to be honest. I kind of cobbled this uh, group discussion together at the last minute because that's how I do it. But um, since we were talking about it earlier in the episode, um, I wanted to talk a little bit more about figure painting. I know that all the five of us are primarily armor modelers, sci-fi modelers, aircraft, and, you know, the more traditional scale modeling subjects. But um, I know I mentioned before, I, I come from a wargaming slash figure painting background. That's how I got into scale modeling. I think I'm the only one of the five of us that enter the hobby that way. So painting figures um, holds a special place in my heart because that's how I started this. You know, I got some space Marines and some paint and 10 years later, here we are. And because um, I have found that painting figures is really fun. And I've also found that it, it's the best way that I've come across to help get the mojo back, you know, break out of the doldrums, which is what I was going through before um, this la these last couple months. And the fact that I've finished with three figures working on the fourth in two weeks, it it's nice because, yeah, you can spend hours and hours and hours and hours in, in painting a figure like like the truly great ones do. But you can also spend a couple of days or in my case, spend an afternoon painting a little tiny figure and you get something done. And as much as I love building tanks and, and X-wings and stuff, that's, that can be very hard to do. I'm not saying it can't be done. Ivan will completely build a full 35th scale kit in an afternoon. So sure, it, for us mere mortals, like we can't really do that. But, you know, with a figure, especially, um, I, I, I push people towards painting busts because it's, really fun it's a limited area to work with you don't have to worry about painting the whole figure it's typically if you know what a bust is it's from the chest up sometimes they go like torso up but you can you can work on the, the face which you know for most subjects is the most important part you know if you're painting a person usually the face is the most important part and you really um 
you kind of get like a new appreciation for painting your thirty fifth scale figures, which I've been doing more and more uh, with my bills. I, I want to add figures. I used to shy away from figures, but you know, watching Martin paint all his figures for all his little dioramas that he's been doing, you know, it is inspired me. It's like, oh, you add figures to your build; they they make your bills look better more often than not, even if you're not a world class painter figure or figure painter. I agree with what you mean uh, with busts because I think it's well documented. I stripped some one thirty fifth figures I was trying to do for the M10 about seven times. I just couldn't get any sort of result I was looking for. I tried the glazing, like you said, that Martin does. I tried oils. I tried acrylics. I don't get on with acrylics for figure painting. Then I've done this bust, and it's completely different. It's it's going how I planned it would go. It's looking how I wanted it to. And I think it's just that bigger canvas. You've got so much more. Seeing it out loud now, it's like, well, that's obvious. I've got a, I've got a bust that I could paint. How can I expect to paint something that's 35th in the, the standard that I like if I can't paint something that's big, if that makes sense? Like, it's going to be obviously be more difficult in a smaller scale. So get good on something bigger and then transfer those skills into the small stuff. Yeah. It, I, I'm glad you brought that up because it, it is now, of course, let me preface this. I'm not, you know, the greatest figure painter in the world. I'm not, you know, like the true luminaries out there. So this is just one man's opinion, but it's almost counterintuitive that painting something larger when you're talking about painting something as complex as skin can be, it's easier on a larger canvas. People, people want to be like, Oh no, it's, it's so, it's too big. I, I can't do it. Like, but you can do it because it's so big. Um, I know in a, in one of our group chats earlier today, I was talking about that and I, cause uh, our friend Grant was mentioning it and I was like, no, Grant, it, it is easier because you don't have to be as precise with your brush when you're painting something that's one, 12th scale or 110th scale, paint something that's 135th scale, those heads are really tiny. One stray move and you could potentially ruin all the work you've done before. But on a bust, if something large, like you have that room where, yeah, you get a stray brush mark here, you can just blend it out. It's not a big deal because most people's faces aren't perfect all the time. And you can really play with that on something larger scale. And I don't know, I, I don't I sound like a broken record, but like I, I want more people that I know to, you know, Get a bust, paint it, because I feel like it'll make you a better painter. And I don't know what it is about it, but I know ever since I started working on them last year, I enjoy it more and more every time I paint one. And I learn something new and you can it's a it's a good because they're so typically they're only one or two pieces. Some some are more, but you have just one thing. You don't really have to build it and you can just go. It's not like building a tank or an airplane where you gotta put everything together and then get it ready to paint. No. If it's resin, wash it off, hit it with some primer, and you're good to go. You can get right to the fun part. I'll, I'll back you up on that. The King of the Dead that I mentioned earlier, uh, I printed it when I finally uh, decided to start. One evening, I pulled four of those busts out, and I and I primed everyone. And then as soon as that paint was dry, I started, I started playing with it. I layered with the airbrush. I started using a little bit of oils on it. I even used, towards the end, I even used some watercolor on it to to highlight some stuff. I just had a blast with it. And and it was one night for about an hour and a half and one night for an hour and I was done. I'm glad you mentioned the airbrush, Doug, because that's that's something that I think a lot of people that want to get into figure painting don't necessarily think about, especially coming from a traditional scale modeling. Because for, for some reason, which I, I don't fully understand it, a lot of figure painters kind of, I don't, I don't mean to say, Again, this is just based on my small sample size. They kind of shun 
almost uh, airbrushes. And you shouldn't because they're a versatile, they're a tool just like anything else. I was also mentioning today, like, especially painting large scale skin, your airbrush is your best friend because you can really blend it. You know, it's one thing to make glazes and paint them on with a brush. If you're good with an airbrush, you can just put that glaze on with an airbrush. You can really bring up the the reddish tones or the gray tones in, in someone's lower half of their face. Talking about other mediums, um, I know there's um, a, a bit of a discussion about acrylics and oils, and a lot of people use enamels to paint faces. Me and TJ were talking about this before we started recording. I like oils because I'm not patient enough, really, to try and learn how to blend acrylics and have them look smooth and neat. With an oil, I can literally, say, a highlight, put it on the cheek, and then dry blend it with another brush, and I've got the highlight that I'm after. It's just a medium that I really like to work with, but it's the same with armor and aircraft. I love oils. It's just a medium I really like, but TJ isn't the same. I know I was, I was busting your balls about a little bit, but no, there's nothing wrong with using oils. I mean, I, I like oils for weathering, um, but when it comes to painting skin, I give me, give me some acrylics and, and frankly, games workshop acrylics. They have some of the best Caucasian skin colors, I think out there really. I mean, they're, they're really good. Now, obviously, if you want to paint more than just white people, you, you need to. <laughs> look around and find some some more paints but you're just painting a run-of-mill white dude like me like it's uh, they're good colors and they're easy to work with because you know they're water-based acrylics and they're of high quality they're expensive but you know they're good ak has paints ammo has water-based acrylics so they're they're playing scale 75 is another really good one i know we've been, mentioned before but that's a you know, another common uh, technique is oils over acrylics, which I think is, is that what you did, Ivan? Or did were you just straight oils all the way? Um, I So I did the Zenithal Highlight Primer just because it looks cool as well. I could display all my models like that. Then I applied Vallejo, I don't know if it's Dark Sand or it's, it's the base coat that Martin Kovac uses. Uh, base coated the face with that and then instantly straight in with oils. I know which one. Is it Dark Tan? No, it's going to Or just me. Tan? I don't know. There's a, there's a, a couple... Vallejos that are really good for like a base Caucasian flesh color. I've used one too. I don't remember which one it is though. Brown sand. Oh yeah, that is a good one. Yeah, in, in the bottle it looks like a really weird color, but as soon as you put it on, it's like yeah, that's a, that's an excellent base tone. But also, this, I know I've only been painting bust for like two days, which now I'm fully qualified to tell people what to do. Um, it, it's understanding the color wheel, which is again sounds quite obvious, but yellows. And I learned this about natural metal, uh, non-metallic metal for gold. For yellow, then the shadow is purple. It's like understanding the color wheel. Really weird, but like for faces and shadows, it's like dark blues and greens, which sounds really strange. I was talking to a, uh, an excellent figure painter, Carlos Startin, who was talking to me about oils and that and for shadows. He uses like really deep blues and greens for shadows. And I was like, that sounds a bit extreme, but it, just, it works. So don't be scared to like push the, the boundary of modern dance. His stuff is world class. He, yeah, he's he's, he's extremely good. Unbelievable. It's annoying because he says he's okay. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so that, that's a that's a really good point that you brought up, Ivan. Um, I would say this is just me talking. You know, take that as you will with a giant boulder of salt. Um, I think I would recommend if someone wants to like really start painting busts or figures or whatever, you know, get start with just your basic. If you're painting a white person, your basic white people paint colors um they all make them so you know every company has one start with that you learn that way you don't have to go crazy with the color wheel and start blending all these colors and get get the foundations there and then 
from there start working in more colors to bring play with light like that's what i did with my boba fett bus i one of the first time i think the first time i played with light instead of just he's being lit from up here he's being lit from the side so his left side your right side looking at him is way brighter than this side and i did that all with paint that's the kind of thing that you know you work into that like obviously I'm learning how to do it. So it's not like, oh, here, t- do what I do because I'm, you know, a genius. But after you get the basics of painting skin, then do like what you were saying, Ivan, bring in your greens and your purples and your, and your blues and your reds. Because if you look at real people, not everyone is just one color. Like you can see my face. I have my cheeks are red right here. You know, do that on a, on a figure. And like I'm doing it on that little one sixteenth scale bus of the Norman soldier. He, he has a lot of blue in his face. He, he was based with like a purplish color and I worked up from there and it's people get mad at me, but it's not that hard. And if it doesn't look good, you just do another one. That's the, the best part. And if you have a 3D printer, you know, just print a bunch of bus. It's easy. I'd be really easy to paint because I'm just a big white crayon. Uh, <laughs> the, the th- <laughs> another thing that we talked about. <laughs> We're going to put that on your farmer's only pay, uh, profile. With a waxy exterior. <laughs> P- please make that the cold open. Please. <laughs> I just want it to be, I'm a big white crayon. <laughs> 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 um, uh, I was saying, Mr. Crayola, can you please continue? <laughs> um, oh yeah, talking about painting busts or figures or whatever. Um, something you again said before: if you don't want to do like flesh or faces, you can pick up busts of like robots and things that don't actually exist or mutants or furries. You don't have to go for just skin tones, which makes it quite cool. Because like TJ did before, you've never painted something purple, so you decided to paint your thing purple, and it gives you a good chance to experiment with different colors, even if they're not natural. Yeah, I think just what what is out there is just you know endless I, I, look i love tanks but they're all tanks you know for the most part they're going to be tank colored <laughs> green or what have you so experimenting with figures i feel like you can usually you can work with more colors than you would if you're just you're just building shermans or panzer fours or tigers or whatever you know those colors are fun and fun to work with you know i love working with olive drab it's one of my favorite colors but sometimes painting something bright purple is fun so I've got a question. What about a uh, technique like dry brushing? Cause I've got, I've got a cave troll that I printed from Lord of the Rings and his skin texture. It's like broken up dried mud. And, and I, and I'm looking at it and to keep the depth, I was kind of wondering about just dry brushing his, his skin to layer and layer and layer to try to get what I want it to be. Go for it. I am not one of these people that looks down on dry brushing. Dry brushing is a legit art technique that's been around for, I would assume, centuries. Use it. That, in that cave troll, it, I know I've, I have the file. I haven't printed it yet. Is, it's beautiful. Uh, the cave troll is sweet looking anyways. And I think, uh, Fotis did an amazing job converting that into, you know, a figure. So yeah, I mean, go for it. If, if you don't like it, just paint over and do it again, it's, you know, or print another one. Print another. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think dry brushing is a valid technique for mm-hmm. a lot of times. You know, people like to shit on it. Like it's, you know, for newbies or whatever, but it's not. You know, oh gosh. I'm not that good. I've been modeling for years. I'm not that good at dry brushing. So, I mean, if, if it's just a newbie technique, then I don't, I, I don't know what I'm doing then. I forget, but on, on YouTube, there's some great videos where guys are painting fantasy figures and they'll dry brush it, but they're, you know, putting glazes over the dry brushing. So it really, it's honestly the, from what I, again, I am not a figure guy, but for in a complex texture like skin, like 
like that troll. It's funny. I have that queued up ready to go. And I was trying to think about how to paint it. And I was thinking like maybe Xenothal lighting to start black base, shoot white down from on top, maybe dry brush to accentuate it. And then like a heavy glaze to pull, you know, put some, you know, color saturation on it. But I, like TJ said, I think anything's game. And gosh, there's so many good videos on YouTube for fantasy figure painters. And honestly, Instagram, that's, that's a sweet place to go for inspiration too. There's a, another really good, um, website. I just recently joined it actually, uh, yesterday. It's called putty and paint, puttyandpaint.com. It's a gallery showcase website where they don't, it's you just post your pictures. You can write about your whatever, and they take everything. It's not just figures. Um, they say right on there you can upload anything. Uh, figures, bus, full figures, wargaming stuff, uh, scratch builds, straight up scale models. Um, because I've put some of mine on there. There's lots of others too. Essentially, is for you. You can get you know gold, silver, bronze. They you can get rated because there's a big communal gallery, but everything's separated by tags. So if you want to see bus, just choose you know go to the search filter, choose bus, and it'll show you all the bus. You want to see you know scale models, it'll show you all the scale models, and then you can add further you know refinements with other tags. Like there's a fair amount of machining creator on there. Uh, stuff like that. It's, it's a really cool website that even if you're not interested in, in putting your, your work on there to get judged, which I, I would say, you know, you should go ahead. I mean, there, th- some of the best painters in the world are on that website. So people that spend time there typically know what they're looking at and you can get good feedback from people that know what they're doing. But even if you don't want to do that, just, just go check it out and just search for something and you'll find just some of the best work you've ever seen in your life where you're like, oh man, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to do that, but who cares? Cause it looks really good. Scott, you haven't said much. No, just actually learning. Yeah. Fascinating discussion highlighted by the uh, white crayon comment for sure. <laughs> so when you guys see a bust you want to paint, do you, do you have an idea in your head like almost right away? Or do you see something and say, I love that. I want to do it and then think about it. But do you ever see something that just pops out and say, I want to do that. And this is how I do it like immediately. Mm, I mean, for me, do I look like a guy with a plan? I typically don't have a plan when I start anything other than I want to do it. Typically, what I'll have is I'll have an idea. I'll have a basic idea, but I definitely, you know, like one of the busts that I have that I, I really want to do, and hopefully I can do it before now. I plan on doing it for Nats is from FER Miniatures. It's the CNC Militia Woman. Awesome sculpt. When I saw her, I was like, I need that in my life like right now and the box the the box art is fantastic i don't remember who painted it so I'm, i'll probably do something like that but i don't know if i'll use the exact colors because you can kind of kind of get away with whatever you want but yeah i not really just because that's just not the type of person i am i'll see something and say i need that and i want to have it and typically i just default to whatever it's on the box but not always i'm trying to push away from that yeah i can't plan if i plan it means thinking about stuff and the more time i have to think about something i'll put myself off it or just completely think of a million reasons why I shouldn't be doing what I'm thinking about doing. So I just go with the flow. That sounds really cliche. TJ, with that purple, tell us how that came about. I mean, you got the bust and then just looked over and said, let's do purple. Or I mean, how did you decide on that? Oh, the robot, the P92? The robot, yeah. That's the color he is on the box. I really didn't want to do like the box art because I've mentioned it before, especially like like my machining career work. I typically default to one of the options in the box because I think we've talked about before. It's hard to come up with your own schemes, especially if you're not an artist, which I am not. So I'm not good at picking out colors that go together. And I was worried I'm going to screw it up. So I'm like, I'll just going to do what the box shows because that looks sweet. So that's how I picked 
purple, but also because I've never done anything in that color and it looked interesting. And he has like the red OSL and purple and red go well together. And then he has white accents and painting white is hard. So that's the other reason why I went with it, went with it because I wanted to do the white accents. Purple and white look good together. Painting white is hard. And I wanted a challenge because, I mean, if anyone's ever tried to brush paint white acrylics, it's usually not fun. And it wasn't fun. Spoiler alert. So it, you may have mentioned it earlier, but what paint did you use for that purple? Because even dirty, it's really vivid. That is all Games Workshop. I use, they have two purple paints, at least. One of them is like Xerxes Purple. or They have the dumbest names. I hate their names. And the other one is Gene Steeler, Gene Steeler Purple. The first one's a darker one. The second one's a lighter one. And then I use, I also use uh, Scale 75 Petroleum Gray, which is a Oh, it's it's a fantastic color. It's a purplish, dark, dark purplish gray. And that's what it was based with. And then I stippled on the other two purples, you know, mixing more in of the lighter one till I got all the way to the top. And then I think I added a little bit of ice yellow, which is like one of those like universal highlight colors that you see a lot of figure painters use. I was lucky to get one. I think I got it when I was out with you, John. I think they had them for sale. So I grabbed one. I've added just a little bit to lighten it up. There's a purple contrast paint. I can't remember which one it's what it's called. It wasn't vi- like when I was done with all the stippling, it wasn't vivid enough. So I took that purple contrast paint, which is really, really rich. It's like super saturated. I thinned it out maybe like 50-50 with some Vallejo airbrush thinner and just brush it on everything, the whole thing. And it made that purple just like jump out in your in your eyeballs. As soon as I did that, I was like, that's it. That That's exactly what I want. All right. Well, I'm really glad that we got to talk about figures because um, I love painting figures, as you guys know. <laughs> and I'm also just one of these guys that when I get into something, I get super into it. So when I have it in my mind, I'm going to paint figures. That's what I'm going to paint. That's all I've been doing. So I'm glad we got to talk about it. Hopefully that inspires listeners out there to you know, grab a figure, a bust, you know, pick a cool character you like and just just paint it just for fun. It's it's super fun. I, I'm a big believer in becoming a well-rounded modeler and being able to paint figures is part of that. And if you build armor, even if you build aircraft, learning how to paint figures will make your armor and aircraft modeling better because you'll learn new skills and you can start incorporating figures into your models. And, you know, watching Uncle Night Shift on YouTube shows you how cool that is. You know, adding figures is, is awesome. So thank you guys for that. Ivan, I think you had a topic that you wanted to talk about that I think might be a tiny bit spicy too. Oh yeah. Um, with extra chili. See, I wanted to talk about copying people's work. Now, I don't, obviously, it's in scale modeling, it's kind of an inevitable. People are going to build the same stuff. Out of the box, people have the same markings in kits. People are going to build the same thing of the same subject in the same colors, same markings and such. I just wanted to talk about copying original pieces. So, for example, the other day on Facebook, someone was doing a build of a diorama and it was near exact brick for brick, size by size, just particle by particle carbon copy of another modeler's work and i i will admit i took a screenshot and i put it in our, our group chat and i said what do you guys think of this i didn't say my opinion first i just wanted to know what everyone thought because i was like personally i don't know how i felt about it i don't like it and i already know tj's argument and i understand the argument but i do not like the idea of copying and copying an original piece exactly the same but i want to know what you guys think okay since you called me out i'm gonna start first <laughs> And also because I clearly haven't talked enough this episode. Um, yes, I think it's okay to copy someone's work. However, there's caveat upon caveat upon caveat with mm-hmm. that statement. So p- this is not a, a black and white statement. With that particular instance that you are talking about, which I remember, 
That one was different because he didn't acknowledge that he copied someone else's work. That's the problem. That is not okay. Mm -hmm. You can copy work all day long. I do it and I'm not ashamed to admit it. And I've told when we had Brian Krieger on, I told him to his face and I told him to his face when I met him in person. Dude, I love your work. I copied it. Thank you because your work is amazing. And I, I will freely admit to anyone that asks, I didn't come up with this whitewash scheme on this machine and create your suit. I learned it from you and yours was awesome. Now, I changed mine a little bit. So I wasn't a direct copy, but it more or less was. There's to me, there's nothing wrong with that. People have said that about someone copying something like that Martin Kovac does on YouTube. He's giving you a video teaching you how to do it. Why wouldn't you copy? Like, you know what I mean? It, 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 that's fine. But like I said, the, the caveat comes in where don't act like you came up with that idea. Give, cre- give credit where credit is due. I'm a big believer in giving someone credit. I've copied from John more than once. And I will tell John every time, like, dude, thank you. I'm glad you did that. I'm doing what you did. And it's making me better because you're, you're better than me at it. So thank you. And I'm totally fine with it. You know, I, I have to echo TJ's sentiment. It all comes down to how you present the final work. You know, credit where credit is due is the most important thing. It's really, that's a, that's a testament to someone's character. And it really, it shows, you know, that's the right thing to do. I'll, I'll back up and say, you know, I don't have any problem copying work. You know, I'll even go one further and say, why do we write modeling articles? Why does Martin Kovac make modeling videos? The only way you can learn, I believe, in certain circumstances is by copying. When you cook something, you're reading ingredients. The goal is to recreate the dish in which you see on paper and which you've enjoyed. There is no difference from my perspective in scale modeling. Now, what you should do to grow, and this is what I do all the time, you know, I copy techniques verbatim, tank art, Adam Wilder. I've reached out to Adam and said, hey, man, you know, do you mind if I copy your paint scheme? Like, I really love this modulation. Oh, yeah, go for it. And you know, talking about, okay, how to push it further. It's, you gotta, you gotta find a baseline. You gotta benchmark off something and you gotta, from my perspective, I follow those techniques to understand what, where I'm lacking, where I can improve. And then how am I achieving something and knowing the results are matching what I, what I, what I want to achieve. And I, again, it's all how you present it in the end. And I, I'm, I'm guilty of copying a lot, but you know, if you look at my posts and work, I always, ensure that the person where I got the idea, I'm going to say something maybe spicy, inspiration and copying, you know, are very similar. I was inspired by this build. That's, that's copying in my mind. You know, it, it is, it is maybe a, a somewhat gross analogy, but inspiration and, and imitation are very similar. And there's only little sliver of difference there. And I think the sliver of difference is how you present your work at the end and acknowledge the original builder slash artist who accomplished it first. I've seen some cases where someone copies, you know, very iconic dioramas, you know, built by the Europeans, the Englishmen, the names you can, they're synonymous with great work and magazine editors. And that person copied their work, but then sold it on eBay with pictures from the magazine attached to it. It's very shady operation. And that in no way, shape and form is okay. But the idea of copying someone's work to start and tend to grow and to learn, I, I don't see a problem with as, as long as you, again, credit where credit is due and, and hell, reach out to the person. Don't just rely on the texts and photos, but get their feedback too. I guarantee you they will help you. I yeah, did that with my, uh, with my B-Wing. I, I was, I was about, oh, halfway done with it when I came across Andy Moore's B-Wing build. 
And so good. It's incredible. And there are things he did early on that I wish I could have gone back and done with the assembly and stuff, actually cutting pieces out and, and putting them back together in the final build. But, um, I'll happily tell you, I, I followed his paint scheme step for step. I mean, I made some adjustments myself, but oh my gosh. And then, and then when I did my A wing, I, I used the same inspirations from that build to transfer over to the A wing. You guys have made some excellent points. I mean, first of all, as modelers, what are we doing? We're replicating imagined or real subjects in miniature. That's what we do. So in in essence, we're sort of trying to copy again, as long as it's presented in that way. And then when we spoke with Link, Lincoln Wright, originally he talked about, you know, the system in Japan and modeling was you become sort of an apprentice, like the old artists of old, they would have apprentices that would work on the sculptures and the, the paintings, and they wouldn't move on until they had mastered the artists that they were working with being able to replicate it. And so I think that's always been a part of it. But again, it's all how, you know, that work is presented. And, and I think the other thing is there's great value in, in copying maybe somebody's work or being inspired by somebody's work and then incorporating that as you develop your own style. I mean, I, I haven't made a big secret here that all of you guys are, you know, an inspiration to me and TJ, how he and I originally became friends was he did a slave one build that was very, very inspirational to me in the way that it looked. And, and I reached out to him and acknowledged that. And we, we started a conversation that led to a friendship. And so I think as long as you're, you're being upfront about things, I think there's a lot of value to be gained by, I guess, so-called, uh, copying somebody's work as long as it's handled, you know, in the way that we're talking about. Yeah. You know, I, I want to bring up a, a, you know, one instance that it was, it, this is a great example. You know, Adam Wilder built a, a diorama back in the early 2000s called Red, Red Tide Rising. And it was a T3485 cresting over rubble. And a Panther G that inspired and Aaron Cook is unapologetic about, you know, it, it's a copy, but in World War II tank form, very similar paint schemes, structural layout with the chimney. And, you know, he, he did it right from the beginning. He, you know, it's like this was, you know, he stayed in one of his, one of his most favorite dioramas. And he, you know, he was bitten by the toon tank bug and wanted to recreate it. And I thought what was really, really cool was Adam Wilder shared it and he considered it one of the coolest things in the hobby that he was ever been a part of. And I, and that, that just speaks volume, you know, to the character of both individuals, I think. And, a great example where when it's done right, it can be something that can be carried on and shared across the globe for that matter and really draw a lot of attention. And, and, you know, Aaron did it right. He even had the magazine right next to it. It was, it was just really cool. And I hope that he brings it out to the IPMS nationals because it was, it was an awesome piece and seeing the camaraderie that was formed with both of them. Cause I think Aaron kind of did it in a vacuum until the end, you know, in terms of sharing progress with Adam. And when Adam saw it, from my perspective, it was like, oh, wow, this is one of the coolest things in the world to, you know, to inspire something like this and, and have someone, you know, mimic it in, in a World War II tank form. So I guess it's a little bit of a, of a brag, I guess. I did a, a captured Stug 3 based on a very famous picture of a cap, American captured Stug 3 in 2021, I think. I think it was when I did that early 2021. It's one of my first builds of the year. I was very proud of it. I, I really like it. I still do. It's one of my favorite models. Um, a guy named uh, Dan Rothenberger reached out to me randomly through Facebook and was like, hey, 
I really like that. That you did a really good job. I'm gonna do one too, but in one seventy second scale. And I was like, man, that's awesome. Like hell yeah, dude. Like please do, but please show it to me when you're done. Please. We became friends on Facebook and he recently finished it and he wrote a very a nice uh note when he was sharing all his pictures. Like this build was inspired by TJ Haller's build of the same one, one of my favorite builds of all time. And I told him, I was like, Man, that's it's very humbling that you told me that. That's I, that means more to me than almost anything else that I just built something and you, you liked it that much that you wanted to do the same thing. He more or less copied me, same layout of the figure, same markings, everything. And it was awesome. I, and it was, he did really good and it's 70 second scale. So that's, that's hard. I worked with a modeler that I'm not going to use his name, but everybody would know him. And, you know, I was asking him for help on a technique and he, he said, here's my build take your model and do exactly what I've done in these pictures and sent me sequential pictures. And I did that. And then he kind of critiqued what I was doing. And so in, in that particular instance, you know, copying work was very, very helpful in bridging a communication gap and helping me to learn a couple of specific weathering techniques through that medium. Yeah. I want to go back just to echo what TJ said, you know, I, I think it is cool. You know, I, I would be flattered, honestly, astounded and flattered if someone copies my work or is inspired by it and takes a piece of it or, or copies the whole thing and tries to replicate it because that, that, that's extremely humbling and just really cool. And find somebody that wouldn't appreciate that. And I'll show you a liar, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, we as hobbyists, we, we love to build cool stuff and for someone to think of it as cool and wanting to replicate it just makes it super cool. And it's an awesome experience. Exactly what TJ talked about. I'll tell you what I'd like to copy is JB's uh, smoked pork shoulder recipe. Oh, come on over, man. There's no secrets. Going off of that, talking about no secrets, I try to be as clear as I can in modeling articles as well. You know, one of the things I'll talk about, and it, it kind of lends to copying maybe, and maybe why some people don't do it, but when, when someone goes, well, I painted the figure in acrylics, or I, I washed it in enamels, or weathered it in pigments, okay, cool, you're not helping anyone. And, and maybe you're writing the article to just show your work. That's fine. But when I think of articles and I think of what is, what articles are successful, what modeling publications are successful, I point to things like tank art where it goes down into the minutia about the brand of paint, the thinner, the brush, the application, the how pulling, you know, the curtain back and showing you, you know, here's the magic trick. Now, I still think there's, you know, some disconnect between what I'm reading and what I can achieve, but that's what I really appreciate about good articles and, and more importantly, good authors. I think there are some out there that are incredibly talented at not only sharing their work, but then being able to describe it so someone can copy it. Can, uh, can we all just take a moment and appreciate how wrong Ivan was? <laughs> in, his, in his own topic, I, I, I knew I was going to be the. <laughs> that white I crayon is it. turning pink. <laughs> I, I get it. Oh, okay. man. I, I understand. All right, no. Okay, counterpoint. I just don't like it. I, I just don't. It's. You know what? I'm going to copy you just to piss you off. We should all make Mayberries. <laughs> <laughs> See. <laughs> if someone for example i've just made that maybury it's completely original if someone, was to, build that, <laughs> if someone was to build that tank with the same camo and put the same name on it i won't be flattered 
I'd be like, really? 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 I'm I wouldn't doing be flattered or, or think, oh, that's really... I'd be like, really? It's something that's completely origi- original and you couldn't think of anything. Nothing is original. That's right. But but question, Ivan, if somebody, like in TJ and John scenarios, I mean, if somebody reached out to you and said, Ivan, your grant looks really awesome. It's terrific. I'd, I'm really inspired by it. I'd like to take a shot at it. Would you mind? Does that change it for you? <laughs> um, I, I would honestly try, and not persuade, but implore that they do their own thing. Ooh, Ivan. I know I'm sounding like that's a okay. Right that's Adam, okay. But if, if, if this is going to be like a really bad comparison <laughs> and it's not going to make sense, and I already know I'm going to get called out by the Facebook people. No. Um, but for me, it's like you, you're writing an original article for an exam. Someone reads it, copies it, changes a few words, and it's like, well, none of that's yours. Like, that's, nah, it's, do your own thing. But, but I think there's a little bit of, uh, let's take a step back and maybe go one other example. The Mayberry aside, which Grant, I love that he's getting all this attention. He's you know, maybe the fifth we, beetle of the maybe we triple should, Maybe we should like uh, clone him, uh, get multiple Mayberries like, like <laughs> Ivan's Grant. You know, let's take a step back and look at your M10. It is very unique in a sense of the stowage. Everybody loves a good hedgerow cutter. The always head, good to see a hedgerow cutter. Always good. Uh, so you look at that, Ivan. You have your stowage, you have your added tracks, you have your, you know, the hay on there. It's a very, it, it has a lot of character. And I think that character can be inspiring to people. Going off of Scott's example, someone reaching out and saying, Hey, Ivan, I love what you did with this M10. Can you walk me through how you accomplished X, Y, and Z? I'd love to replicate it. This build was inspiring and I want one on my shelf. What are your thoughts around that type of approach? You tell them hmm. to jog off. <laughs> Buy mine if you want one. Um, <laughs> like it's it's like I said, it's great if my work can inspire someone else and they want to do their own M10 or M3 or whatever. But if if for example they were to then produce a model that had the spent ammunition on the rear deck with the same stowage in the same position and the the, the 50 cal rounds from the machine gun and the sandbags on the front and the hit. If it was to look near enough exactly like mine, I'd be like, that's great, but you had a canvas. You could have played with, and you didn't. Instead, you trail uh, rather than a blank canvas. You've treated it like a jigsaw and put pieces into the places they should like supposed to go, rather than do what you want. And it's it's it's. I know, I know I'm the bad guy here. No, I just no, don't not. like there, it. There's no right opinion here, except for ours. <laughs> no it's, <argument>. it's, <laughs> objection sustained. Scott, you're going to say something. So, Ivan, I have a question. Does your feeling about this change if, A, you were working from a photo, uh, maybe kind of more similar to what, you know, TJ was working for some photos on the example that he used on the Stug, does that change anything because you used a lot of creativity kind of from your own um, universe for this one? And then, B, does it change if it's a modeler that you know of and you're, say, good friends with? So from Scott wants from- to copy you is what he's saying. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so working from a photo, which I think me and TJ have said we, we rarely do, I'd say that's different because you, you are working, you are specifically setting out to recreate that snapshot of said scene. With my work, it's completely just from my head, just going with what I thought looks cool. And it's th- th- there's no proof or evidence or recreation going on. It's just with what I like the look of. 
original and recreation. You can copy a recreation because it's happened. Like like I mentioned, but with those models out the box, they come with decal options and paint schemes. There's going to be hundreds of thousands of them built because it's what's in the box and it's a specific unit, specific marking, whatever. But if you're trying to be original, which I tr- try and be, to have that then replicated again, for me... I don't like because it it lacks creativity to copy. And again, I know that it sound it's <laughs> if I heard myself saying this about you, dick. But um, that's just what I think. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is my official resignation from the Triple P. It's been nice knowing <laughs> you all. Goodbye. <laughs> See you in July. <laughs> You're good, buddy. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I think that's a fair opinion. You know, I, 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 I've enjoyed it more because it's been me versus you four, <laughs> and we've not agreed on this. Well, I think it's um, the first topic we've ever had a disagreement or a misalignment on what our opinion is, and and I think that's good. You know, there's there, you know, these types of discussions spur, dare I say, debate and, and a greater thinking around certain topics that you know aren't often associated with scale modeling, and and certainly our podcast, we we dare not tread in. To the uh, drama-filled areas, but I'm I'm copying the Mayberry. I don't. If I, I see and, another one of those in July, I'll be fuming. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't think it was so much a disagreement, Ivan, as just we all sort of you know see it from a little bit different perspective. And I think that again, what we're doing in essence is we're all making little recreations to some degree or another. And so you know, there's varying degrees of what we think is okay and what we think is is not okay. But it's a it's a fascinating discussion. Uh, just uh, quickly add for another weird, probably nonsensical comparison. You know how they have those Lego building championships where you can build huge superstructures or big, massive buildings or whatever? It'd be the same as someone building something, putting it on the internet, people share it, and then two people turn up to that competition with the exact same thing. And it's all it's, it's all off-plan. It's all just self-designed, original, engineered, and there being two of the exact same thing. Maybe one's just pink and one's blue. But- so... I guess I have a counter to that. You're going to see that potentially at nationals. I can tell you it happens on the armor side, but honestly, more frequently on the aircraft side where there are multiple, not only the same type of aircraft, but in the same insignia. And they're even next to each other sometimes. Yeah, it's interesting to look at because they're they're following the instructions, especially mm-hmm. the out-of-the-box category, which is now basic yep. kit build. You know, they're going to use the same markings and it's interesting. You know, each one of them has a little uniqueness, but mm-hmm. uh, it does happen when there's, you know, several thousand models on the table. See, I think this is where I've kind of muddled myself a bit because though I understand, like I've done uh, Miss Molly VF-111, uh, hundreds of other models have built that aircraft, that exact same aircraft. Yeah, they're all going to look different, but that, I don't have a problem with that because, again, that's an out-of-the-box. It's a real recreation of a real-life subject. My issue comes with, say, someone scratch builds something from nothing and that gets copied. It's like, right, well, there's my line, so to say. Yeah. Because, well, because, yeah, because... P- there's vehicles and people are going to recreate them. There's going to be hundreds of the same one. I'll also say, you know, maybe along these lines, how many times, I know I can certainly count them and I'm doing it now, where you have a project idea, it's a unique vehicle, it's never been done, or it's not really been done and out there, and you're like, okay, I'm going to do it. And then you see another modeler doing it. Totally coincidentally, like, are you, are you the guy to go, I'm, I'm done and, and walk away and pick a different topic? Or are you to like, you know, yeah, I might look at copying them, but this was my original idea. You know, I'd love to still see it on my shelf and let's go execute. What are your thoughts on that? Um, if I have a thought of something, then I, like I said, coincidentally see someone doing something very similar, uh, or the exact same thing, I, I, I won't do it. It's like, right, think of something else because it's just going to 
either look like I've copied them or it, it just, it, nah, no, uh, not happening. If I see someone else doing it, I'm, I'm walking away. Well, this has been such a colorful conversation. You know, your, your crayon complexion is, has changed <laughs> several times throughout this evening. Well, I think that's been <laughs> a rather interesting discussion. Not in any way controversial, but it's good to have a, a nice discussion where, where opinions differ. This is a modern society, after all. We are grown-ups, and we can have difference of opinion. The hate mail will be rolling in. Send it, send it <laughs> directly to me. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's going to wrap up our episode. Just as a reminder, we are 47 days to the IPMS Nationals from right now. It'll certainly be around 43, 42 when this episode drops, and even sooner before Ivan gets into the States. So there are two countdown calendars going. But this has certainly been an enjoyable discussion, an enjoyable interview with Duncan. Super, super energetic guy. Awesome content. I hope all of our listeners go check out his stuff. Two great topics, one of which I hope to delve dive to dive deeper in, and that's figure modeling. And then I'm also going to make a Mayberry just for shits and gigs to, uh, you know, poke our pale crayon uh, Ivan on the other side of the pond. And maybe I'll even have it on his nightstand when he shows up at my house as a greeting. <laughs> so with that, come back in two weeks, see us. And uh, yeah, until then, happy modeling, be safe, enjoy each other's company and be happy. So thank you again. And last but certainly not least, yeehaw! <laughs> Did I screw that up? Well, cut that shit then, Scott. My bad. <laughs> You're muted, Doug. Embarrassing. I was muted. Sorry. Um, <laughs> hell yes. Oh my god, you wet noodle. <laughs> I'm gonna. I might sound like a right asshole. You got a classy shirt on too. You going on a hot date later? Yeah, you know it's it's normal for uh, an Englishman to go on a date at three in the morning. It's just, just what we do. <laughs> You got a collared shirt on. You're ready for the Catalina wine mixer in Omaha already. Oh, this this is just a, a casual polo. Oh, we call them polos here too. Which I spent a fortune on this weekend getting that, stuff for nuts. By the way, that's right. You went I've, on a shopping spree. Four hundred quid on clothes shopping just for a fourteen day trip to America. When I hear quid, I think of fish. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what it means. Just means like my book. So it's like the same as a pound, right? A quid is yeah. a pound? Okay. Gotcha. I didn't know. <laughs> oh, slam. If I see <laughs> a Mavery anywhere else, <laughs> I'll smash the <laughs> Oh, man.